the What Are You Doing Movie Archives. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Down in Front. Our movie this week is The Princess Bride. As you wish. The 1987 freaking classic from yes. Rob Reiner, starring Carrie Elwes and Andre the Giant, and of course... Uh, Paul <laughs> of course, and, and, Paul written, and written by a guy that is essentially the fifth member of the down fifth, in front, the, the fifth down in fronter, William, William Goldman. Goldman. Now on the table tonight is myself, T. Christie, and my friend. Hello, Mr. Brian William Fenifter, and of course, Mr. Michael Dorkman Scott. Hi, everyone. And as always, here for your pleasure, women. Take heed. Oh dear, <laughs> Trey the Amazing Stokes. Hey, ladies. Now, gentlemen, The Princess Bride was a book. That became a movie after years of William Goldman trying to get it to be a movie. And, and years of refusing to let it be made by, it, by the wrong people into a movie. Which is a, a stunning act of clarity in the film industry. Yeah. No, it's not. Not from a screenwriter. Yeah. He, it's just he happened to have the control to, to prevent it yeah. in, in this rare case. Very few people have the credit <laughs> to go, no, yeah. Go, yeah. not Go- you. Goldman always felt that The Princess Bride was his, his best most shiningest jewel of a work, and he was just always very careful about ever letting anyone talk about making a new movie. Brian Fenifter, do you agree that The Princess Bride is William Goldman's best work? <laughs> Screenwriter, actor, Brian William Fenifter? You know what? I hate this movie. I don't understand how anybody <laughs> likes this movie. It's I really just, I don't I don't get it. I think it's awful. And Brian, are you being ironic for the kids at home? I'm just going to try to add conflict because I'm afraid that this yeah. whole thing is going to turn into this a. This is going to turn into This is awesome. This is awesome. Everybody loves the Princess Bride. Brian, How do you not? Who doesn't love the Princess Bride? At what point Bride? in your life did the Princess Bride become a thing? Oh, I don't know. Uh, some point in my child, it was probably like in the. If you have your cast of characters as classic movies from kids, it was probably in the secondary characters. It wasn't in the League of Indiana Jones for me, but um, it was there. <laughs> okay, cool. It was there, which means you grew up straight. What? Moving on. Moving uh, on. I forgot to mention, by the way, the pause point is when the MGM logo fades to black. So get up, queued up there, and we'll move Yeah, while there. we do whatever we're doing right Michael now. Michael Borkman, Scott, The Princess Bride, William Goldman, how do you feel? Um, this... I, I like this movie. Oh, Jesus. Um, You're not going to oh say my. it's overrated, are you? Well... Oh, my goodness. I, I, I won't say it's overrated. I mean, I mean, it's... I understand the popularity in terms of it being, like, ridiculously quotable. Like, I get that part. <laughs> it's Because it, it definitely is. But um, the part where it's a classic and everyone's like, oh, I love this movie. And, like, it's on, you know, it's their on their top ten favorites and stuff. I'm like, I, you know, I it's not there for me. I like this movie. I... I do, I can't really fault it for anything, but um, it just doesn't really, I guess, capture my imagination the way other movies do. I would not have guessed that. I would have thought you'd have been solidly in the in the in It's the Awesome camp. Yeah. That's interesting. Now, Trey the Amazing Stokes, Princess Bride, how do you feel? I'm solidly in the It's Awesome camp. Um, I, 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 <laughs> Good I, man. <laughs> yeah, Good, Good follow. Unlike this douchebag to my right. I don't know what the hell he's thinking. Um, Maybe uh, my opinion might change. That's <laughs> happened on these shows. No, your opinion is different from mine, therefore you're wrong. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. yeah. the internet. We completely turned Dark Man around on Wild Bob West, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Go listen to that we one. We turned him out, as they say in prison. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I love this movie, and it's okay, it's, okay that, it's okay that you don't. I'm actually, of course, you know, being, being facetious about that. Well, I don't hate this movie. I know, I know. I'm just, just saying. Like, we, we, we've had... <laughs> Dark Man hates this movie. Dark yeah. Man hates the Princess Bride. I don't get that, but, you know... I guess on the bell curve, if yeah. we're grading on a curve here, <laughs> comparatively, I suppose I do, yeah. <laughs> but... Well, again, it is the internet, so it's like, if you don't love it, then it must suck. There's First! There's no middle... <laughs> <laughs> nice, well played. Um, 
I think it's a great movie. Uh, I saw it when it came out, and it was a it was a big deal, and it was like, oh wow, that was really fun, and and it was a good date movie. That's also important. Um, I really I really like this movie. I, I would put it whether you know maybe maybe this time uh, Michael wouldn't agree, but I'd put it definitely in the category of the perfect movie list. Totally, one hundred percent. Yeah, it. Uh, I can't think of any reason it couldn't uh, belong on that list. This easily. movie no. might be the category title heading. Yes. on the Excel spreadsheet. Yes. perfect, perfect movie. Uh, well, actually, perfect actually, Brad. for for me, that was Pirates of the Caribbean one. That's yeah, that's that's the mo- that's the movie that led me to yeah. define the now oft quoted perfect and f- and movie. And fair enough, I don't paradigm. I don't particularly love Pirates of the Caribbean, but I can see how it goes on the perfect movie yeah. list. You know, so for there real. you go. But, now, let's but they, so so but by the oh. same token, I would actually agree with that for Princess yeah. Bride, and it's a good example of what we've talked about before. It's like you don't have to love it to be able to say, yeah, that does everything it's, it's trying to do, and right. I can't I can't see anything else it should have done. Now, for the first time in Down in Front history, we're going to do something that I haven't even discussed with the crowd, and that we've never done before. Going around again, my mm. favorite line in the Princess Bride. <laughs> oh my. Is never start a land war in Asia. Yeah. Ryan, what's your favorite line from The Princess Bride? Uh, it would probably me. be a, a toss-up either between, you know, have fun storming the castle, think it'll work, <laughs> it'll take a miracle, so long, or um, fe- uh, give us a gate key. What gate key? Fezzik tears arms off. <laughs> oh, that gate key. Yeah. Well, either of those can, two. Can you even enter into this category? Can You said it was quotable. It is quotable, but that doesn't mean I quote it. Um, the, the You have standards, I guess. <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, it's it's um, the only one I can think of is Inigo's thing, and that's almost too easy. So I would feel embarrassed quoting that oh, one. The, uh, so nothing. You killed my father. <laughs> yeah. Die. Hello, my name is Inigo, Inigo Montoya. Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And and more specifically, when that comes back around and he can't complete it because he keeps getting his ass kicked. That is the <laughs> yeah. best part of the movie to me. Stray <laughs> yeah. Stokes, the number one quotable line from Princess Bride for you. You know, I I I think I would have to go with as far as quotable. I would have to say. Never entered a land war in Asia is the one that I find the most memorable. But the 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 one that I I like to use that isn't quotable, but um, it's a line. It's a line just because it, it struck me as just being the funniest line, one of, the, of many funny lines in it is the uh, the uh, Christopher Guest line where he says, "Well, you should get some rest because if you don't have your health, you haven't got anything." It just it was just the the, the mundane mundane mundaneness, whatever the word would be. You know, they're talking about murder and plotting. I, don't and know, I never actually know what the word is for what the, the gerund or whatever. The mund- Mundanity of it. Oh, the mundanity. Mundacity. Oh, mundanity. But anyway, it, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a, it's a funny line and it's beautifully oh. delivered. It always just, it's the line that always sticks in my head. But there's 10,000 lines in this movie that are great. And, and in case you missed this, I'm T. Christie, and The Princess Bride is probably in my top three favorite films of all time. You've been paused at the MGM logo fading to black for the last several moments, and now you will get your comeuppance. Get ready? <laughs> Mouse or remote? Three, two, one. Unpause. There's too much. The line that I use most often in life, now that I have a moment to think about it, is um, "There's too much. Let me sum up." That's. Oh no, there's too much. There's, there's. Whenever it's time to explain anything to anyone and you don't have time, you just go, "No, wait. There's too much. Let me sum up." So, a long time ago, (laughs) in a land far, far. You know who was in this movie that I completely forgot about until just now? Fucking Fred Fred Savage. Fred Savage and Peter and Columbo. Peter Falk. Yes. Oh, just one more thing, Fred. Uh, Yeah, the 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 kissing, the way they they're kissing, they do. 
Now, it, but, now when you say he's sick, yeah. Fred Savage, you know, just he a, is I believe, tiny. Yeah, I believe yeah. just after the Wonder Years, if not no during, 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 no, during this, yeah. this had to be during. This was because, his summer break from the Wonder Years. Yeah, because after he was he was old and crusty. Yeah, and of course, notice that you know this is very cleverly set up where Fred Savage obviously only had to be in this one set for probably maybe a couple of days of shooting at the most. Right. Um, so, Fred Savage yeah. was a good little kid actor. He's quite good. He was. He's a a perfectly good adult actor as well. Uh, Battlestar poster there, I I think. I like the uh, Groundhog Day background out there. Get your (laughs) booties on because it's cold outside. (laughs) I love... That's one of the... It's like a... It's like a Cosmo Kramer. Yeah, it comes in like Kramer. I hate that. Hey! He's going to pinch my cheek. So so what's so what's especially great about this this opening as a construction, and it's kind of taken from the original book, the idea... I, I don't think... Help me out here. Does, the book doesn't actually have this scene per se of grandfather reads to his kid, but it does have a narrator who says this is a f- story that has been retold a thousand times, and so on and so on. Is that uh, can uh, back me up on that? Has read know. the book more recently than me. I've read the book many times in my life. So do, it it does not literally have help me or does it literally have a scene of a grandfather and it doesn't have this no, no, scene no. in it. it. In the book, it's actually a straight parable. Yeah, Only but, it's, but, it's, but it but does the, these meta jokes. Where but it's the like, narrator skip the next sixty pages. But the narrator kind of serves the function that Peter Falk does in this, where he's kind of talking to you as your narrator. Right, he's talking through yeah. the book to you. Yeah, saying now maybe you don't want to hear this part and we'll skip it. You know, because that is from the book and not Peter Falk literally or not the character of the grandfather literally but there yeah. is a narrator that is helpful and it basically posits here's the greatest fairy tale ever told and we're going to skip the parts where we talk about how people came to power it's it's, it's <laughs> yeah. the one i With would the totally parts cut out. for people that don't like books and people especially don't like fairy tales which i personally really appreciate and love the parable nature of them but for people that don't ever get into stories this simplistic and and and, and this shrouded in in, in parable themes the princess bride is probably the best book of all time just to read it and you're like I totally, totally get this. So it's like it's like Lord of the Rings without the sixty pages about Gondor. It's about yeah. It's like Lord of the Rings without, the, without the book. Dude, it was without way that. more than <laughs> right. the book it's, about it's, Gondor. It's Lord of the Rings without the uh, the words. Oh, oh, okay. So, so the Princess Bride, William Goldman. So the, Such a fan. So the entire falling in love is covered in basically what's virtually a montage yeah, here at the page. beginning of yeah, the yeah, yeah. of the of the movie and the book, um, because you know they fell in love. That's all you need to know. That's it. There's there's no there's no more to that part of it. You know they're in love. They now we tell the story. Um, Goldman did write this screenplay, so we can presume that that he, you know, added to make it a more literal beginning of being told a fairy tale and wrote the wrote just this made opening the story as opposed just to wrote the, the opening scene. Right. But what's so genius about that, whoever's idea was Well he he did um in, in one of his books he does say like his whole thing was I'm only going to write the parts that I think are interesting. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to write all that bullshit in between. No, I just want to write the fun even, parts. And even plaintatively. He he literally says in the I think it's in the forward, it might not be in the actual text of the book, but he says this is a fairy tale with the stuff cut out. Yeah, with the boring stuff cut out. Yeah, so which is the origin of the the whole idea of it being the abridged version, right? With yeah. the right. joke being that there is the no joke is that there it's is, abridged. There is no, there is no such thing as the unabridged bride. As a, and and asterisk. We'll come back to that later. But what is so brilliant about this as a movie, and and why I don't think the movie would have worked nearly as well without the grandfather modern day framing story, is that immediately puts this in a context of. You know, you re- you recognize that there's a filter to this movie. That someone is telling this story to us, and we we will have these gaps in time, and we'll skip over parts. And it's okay that it's kind of weird and disjointed sometimes. It lets them get away with uh, more than they would have been able. to And it otherwise. puts you in that frame of mind, like you don't have, you know, this is not Shakespeare. We're doing here. We're telling this is a fairy story, and it's you know, it's like your grandfather would read to you, and and it puts you into that mindset. And I think it makes you accept the the silliness of the movie when the movie gets silly more more readily. 
And it especially speaks to people like me, and I'm sure there's listeners that are aligned with me on this, where my favorite movies, whether or not this is a total causality of my favorite movies, but there's a definite correlation between movies that I love and meta narrators. <laughs> yeah. I love the concept of a narrator well, that is that could be not it. only telling you the story, but he's editorializing the shit out of it. <laughs> Something else about this movie that uh, we've talked about this in other movies too, that no matter what movie you're making, um, you can pretty much, you're pretty much guaranteed to kill it. If you acknowledge that what you're doing is funny or campy or silly and and as funny as the supporting players are in this movie, they're the ones who are allowed to be kind of wacky and over the top. But uh, but uh, Carrie Elwes and Robin Robin Wright here play this entire movie completely straight. Totally straight. And by the way, a handsome couple, a sweet Car- couple. You could, you could do worse than Carrie Elwes and Robin Penn. <laughs> you in absolutely can. <laughs> Holy you shit! If they had a baby, it would have been the star child from the end of two thousand. <laughs> it would have Space yeah, House. it would have glowed. <laughs> you you couldn't have like you could read by that baby in the dark if they'd had a baby. But instead, did, did she and Sean ever have any kids? I have no, uh, I I have no idea. I'm not positive, but they would have had long ass noses. <laughs> Saruman is coming. And an attitude. I love the one like Chris Handel in the group that's juggling rings <laughs> like an asshole. You can see me in the background. Look. I always wonder, does anyone know, has anyone been to enough Ren Fairs to know whether or not you can play multiple notes on a on a one-tube bugle? You, you can. You, you can. You can. You can. You, works you can only do octaves. It's you know, all about the embouchure. You know, it's just, yeah. like, just, like so, a, just like a bugle bugle. That's what taps is. Taps is just three notes at three different octaves. Dun, 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 dun. You know, that's, I don't know if it's strictly an octave. I'm assuming it's the first and the fifth and then the first higher. Yeah. But literally, it's, it's, just, it's just the tightness of your lips or the embouchure. Yeah. As, and as by Mike the said, way, Michael, I know what an embouchure is because I play trombone. I have knowledge. I do too. How come you don't know how a fucking brass instrument works? Because <laughs> I played trombone the when hell? I was a young... As a young brother. lad. When he was too young, his parents didn't explain to him about the arm I was a stud way. muffin. Go to hell. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> With your trombone. Shut up. I was going to be in a ska band. Trombo- I was going to be famous. <laughs> <laughs> Trombones are cool, man. They're bitching. By the way, there's fog in that shot. That's nice. Yeah. There's fog in the castle for some reason. <laughs> Robin Wright Penn, who went on to be Jenny in Forrest Gump for those not playing the home game. Jenny used to be in Princess Bride. She used to be in Princess Jenny was Bride. a princess. She said, wrong character. My Forrest Gump sucks, wrong. by the way. I just and discovered Chris that. And Sarandon, brother of Susan Sarandon. <laughs> That's correct. Who, who, also who is, is also the voice of Jack Skellington in The Nightmare Before Christmas. That is true. Which and, we'll be getting to in the And Monday was in one of my uh, cult 80s fave movies, um, Fright Night. He's the vampire in Fright Night, and I always liked him in that. Chris Sarandon is, is I wonder why, I, maybe it's just that I haven't seen the stuff that he's in, but I want to see him more. He's, his heyday was the 80s. I think he's still around, but, uh, I don't think he but no one cares. Yeah, no one but cares. the 80s was his big thing. That's a beautiful If you forest. watch Inigo Montoya really nice. in the scene, he looks like a cutout. He doesn't move at all. <laughs> he's he's literally, literally a, a standee of himself. Not moving. Watch. Not <laughs> yeah. moving and still not moving. Wow. Mandy he... Patinkin, Andre the Giant, and Wallace Shawn. <laughs> he's a freeze Brian frame. Like, who's your favorite? No, seriously. Even mm-hmm. with like the, the gate weave on the film, yeah, it's like he's moving. in one place. He is pasted on after the fact. <laughs> he blinked. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's an optical. Brian, who's your favorite of the three monitors? Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn? Wallace Shawn. Does anyone disagree? Inconceivable. Inconceivable! Oh, no, actually, no, no, no. I just remember, now that you guys just said that, I remember the, the line that I actually uh, do use a lot. Which yeah. is? You, you use that word so often, yeah, yeah, I, I do not think it means what you think it means. It's definitely a thousand and one household uses Wallace there. Wallace Shawn, who's a playwright and a columnist. Who, and an actor. And, and also the Grand actor. Negus. He's an actor. Obviously, you recognize him as, from, you basically know him from his voice. And occasionally yeah. when he's in movies, as his head, but... He was the boss in The Incredibles, and he was Rex in Toy Story. He gets a lot of yeah. Pixar because he's got this perfect freaking animated voice. Yeah, he, he does have he's a, a great voice. character voice. And Andre the Giant, of course, was in that world of uh, you know pro wrestling. You know, he was he, he was became famous in pro wrestling. 
you know, early sort of earlier pro wrestling before it kind of became what it is now, but uh, wasn't quite so so. When they saw the pretense of it being real, yeah, and and, and, and it was a little more it was a little more low rent. I mean, now it's like this big thing with strobe lights going off, but you know, Andre the Giant then you'd watch him on you know the local syndicated station or something like that because you know wrestling. You know, who who watched wrestling? Sure, you got a problem with strobe lights? I love strobe lights. Okay, <laughs> I just don't think I just don't think as any, long as we're good here. Let's move Eddie, gonna, hey, my, we, my, we got to pull conflict in this episode my, somewhere. My my point is that a, a sport that involves strobe Lights, maybe not so much of a sport, is, is kind of what I was getting at. It might be more of an entertainment or a showbiz. Have you or a never circus. seen strobe golf? Have you ever been to a full contact rave? <laughs> yeah. Strobe diving actually is pretty badass, but it's very dangerous oh. for the divers. Now, this is so. I, I want to curse, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull back because kids are going to watch this episode because the Princess Bride is perfect. They should. This is so. Word? Adorable. This is so <laughs> adorable. Where he's like. He, there's this game between the simpleton giant and the slightly wiser but inebriated Spaniard where he only his, – his friendship is predicated on these rhyming games that he plays with this giant. And, of course, it, it, it results in the anybody want a peanut line, yeah. which is perfect. And yeah. it's, been, it's been oft-quoted. But I just – it's such a bizarre – I don't know if it's William Goldman being a genius because he's William Goldman or just a cleverly used writing gimmick where you can get someone to like a character so much based on one simple trait – Based on one thing that they do that you can't separate from the character at all. It's just, that guy likes to rhyme because he doesn't know how to do it much else. I mean, it's so <laughs> a freaking, it's so freaking adorable. It's a, it's it's the it's what passes for save the cat. And and although Inigo will have his save the cat moment all the more later when he allows Wesley to get to the top of the save the mountain. cat. And 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 in terms of screenwriter top of the mountain. In terms of screenwriter theory, which William Goldman has had quite a say in. I don't think Save the Cat is his, is it? No, it's Blake no, Snyder's. Blake Snyder. but, uh, but and it's, well, it's basically, yeah. Plus his soul, blah, blah, blah. Blake's, yeah. Oh, Save the Cat is basically Blake Snyder going, hey, I read a bunch of screenwriting books and here's what I actually use. But he's the fr- but, uh, what, I, what I admire about Blake is that he, you know, he basically turned it into a phrase that you can kind of say, like a short Save hand. the Cat, as opposed to, well, you know, the hero needs to demonstrate that he's worthy of our, of our sympathy. Brian, um, what is Save he's, the he's Cat? He's boiled mean? it down to a concept of called Save the Cat, which is a, a nice, concise way of describing does Brian know? Or yes, we put I do. Him on the spot? I was just yeah. waiting. I was being polite, waiting for Trey to finish. Brian just had this look on his face. I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. oh no. I know nothing about movies. You've exposed me. And now here's Brian to explain it. Hey, hey, I'm only just now reading Save the Cat. So yeah. I, It's actually Brian? one of the ones I still have to get to, although I am familiar with the concept, which is the sense that you just you give your you give a character something to do immediately or very quickly in your story that makes you like them. You and sympathize with that character. So you, so you sympathize, they... you connect, and you relate with them immediately. And it's whatever whatever it is, but the perfect example is to save a cat or some other kind of animal. Because yeah. anybody that saves an animal is like, oh, okay, they can't be all yeah, bad, if right? A, if, if a hit man walks out of his house to kill someone but stops to, you know... Help stops, the turtle across stops, the road yeah, or whatever. Then, then we still are supposed to like that guy. He's, still, he's example, our main character. A common example relating to that is Leon from The Professional who yeah. has a plant. Right. Yeah. He sure. has his plant. You know, that's that's his cat. He basically. kills people, but guess what? He keeps care that's of that That's pretty plant. cool. I, I, I do like the, the shrieking uh, the, eels. The shrieking eels. And that's you know, a really good fantasy concept. Or a, as well as Sean would have us believe the shrieking eels. Shrieking eels. Now, we, when I was in college, we actually adapted this we did this on the stage as one of our shows how did you do the shrieking eels uh we never showed them but the sound effects they were a rock band (laughs) the sound effect was a there was nobody there man i saw them before they were even a band yeah uh the sound effect was a tie fighter sound effect and nobody ever got it (laughs) and we were always disappointed really yeah did you have to pay ben burt yeah uh i bet they uh, got it and didn't realize they were supposed to 
find it funny. They, I were like, they were like, we're just going to pretend just we don't obvious. know what that is. So I hope somebody on the way home them. is like, oh, that's what that was. I that's love a way the allowances yeah. old ladies. I hope so. I love the allowances old ladies give to Moonlight Theater, Brian, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's a TIE fighter. No one will know. It's it's I, I feel I wish I could have been part of this movie because you know to been able to do R.O.U.S.s and and shrieking eels would have been you know that's a that's quite something I'd like to have in my resume. I guess we could have tapped into that because there is a fair bit of puppetry and animal stuff going on in this movie. Trey, how do you feel about the eels? I like the how they totally just cut around that. They're like he grabs her and then she's in the boat. And she's in the <laughs> like boat. we never even we'll see be, her. We'll get into the that later. We'll get into that later. But Andre the Giant had severe back problems. Yeah, he could not actually lift Robin Wright Penn in any of these scenes. Ever. It's always a cheat. Trey so. puppets. The, the it's fun. I mean, it it it, it works okay in this movie. I, I think there's only that I can think of. There's only the RUSs and the shrieking eels, and and I'm, I'm not even sure the RUSs exist. But the RUSs are obviously little people crawling around in 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 rat suits. Um, I think there's some puppetry where they like when it bites him on the shoulder and so. Danny on. DeVito was in this movie. He didn't need a suit. <laughs> <laughs> Danny DeVito in a rat suit. Pat Oswalt reference for those of you who missed it. Um, it's it's fun. It's it's cheesy and cartoonish, but again. That's that ta- the tone that of takes the... takes me back to the opening where it's like this This movie is has already sort of given you the excuse to go, this is going to be a little silly around the edges. Yeah, and these these ship shots... By the way, these ship shots before... <laughs> speaking yeah. of the ship shots, let me speaking tell you. Speaking of the ship shots... Speaking of the point Mike was about to make. Yeah. You see that point? You see that boat right there? There's definitely a boat right there. It's not going to be there in a second. Michael, go. <laughs> um, I was problem? just going to say I liked them because they... Are they model shots? They got to be. It's hard to tell. This is this, I, this I set is actually, I mean, they I just... I think it's a full-size boat on a like a, 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 a set with a psyche in the okay. background. Because, yeah, there's, so, there's something... But yeah. I'm like... No, that's a miniature there. Yeah, yeah. But because the water is... Skill, and that's wrong, a real. That's well, a real yeah. somebody like going up a real cliff somewhere. They, yeah. And they very. The ship? I don't they're, see the ship. Now, the ship is gone. Yeah. Well, but they Where's just the, had well, a shot where it, it. They sent it off. Floated away. It's funny. It, like they like they like and like course, they like they yeah. send off Bill the Pony and in Lord of the Rings. Of course, behind the scenes, what we what we know that means is they just had the one ship. Yeah, that's all it is. That's all it means. And now they're both gone. Strangely enough, when you see it from above, I love this. This when you when you catch the the giant pulling him up. There's such a clear wire thing going on here yeah. where he's just floating up the thingy and barely yeah. – he's like holding himself up with zero weight whatsoever. He's just moving his arms. Like his shoulders aren't sagging at all. Things that reveal – when I was like – I watched this movie. I don't think we've touched on this yet in the episode. I think we may have talked about it or I've talked about it with individuals between the group here that when I was growing up, this was the movie. Between this and a fan film called The Formula made by Geeksa alum Chris Hannell, there was two movies in my life that I've watched literally – repeatedly and this was one of them i had a vhs screen on my I, I, my computer setup at the time was a dual monitor setup one of them was a tv that was connected to a vcr and every night i'd be on the computer on this side and literally i only had one vhs tape <laughs> which was the princess bride that i would watch at least once underlying each word till your pencil breaks every night for going on a year and a half maybe two years wow so i memorized at, at the time i had this Literally, and I, I don't mean this in a colloquial sense, the entire movie memorized. I can still, to this day, do the entire the wine scene between Vizzini and uh, the man in black. I just got to point out the fact that whoever's standing in for Carrie Always climbing that rope there is... He's hauling. Look, and he's, <laughs> yeah. he's not using his legs at all. That's pure arm. Yeah. And that's pretty and, and, and a wire, I believe, yeah. for helping him. But uh, Well, no, I mean in the wide shot, where it's definitely... I like how the uh, the the... 
stones under their feet compress because <laughs> yeah, they're clearly yeah. a styrofoam all, set. But almost as there's a worse one in a second during the sword fight where you can clearly see yeah. Manny Patinkin do a jump land on a pad, on a pad, yeah, mm-hmm. a dust covered like, pad, which is like one half an inch under dust. Yeah, not not, not only that, but the uh, when he does the uh, the gymnastic move off of a, a suspiciously clean and perfect bar that happens to be sitting there with a little <laughs> moss on the edges. It's fortuitous. Shut it's up. fortuitous. It just it it's just, just the right spot. And again, he totally almost stabbed Andre the Giant, and that shot just then, like we wasn't looking. And There's a almost special just feature. Yeah. Are you guys familiar with the uh, the stories about Mandy Patinkin being kind of a crazy bastard? I've heard. I'm not at all surprised. I've I heard that heard fact. As an actor, you mean? As an actor. As an actor. With? Yeah, because he was uh, most recently on Dead Like Me, and I think I was reading trivia for that show. Uh, and apparently, he's one of those insanely uh, <laughs> dedicated actor types where he will like. He won't. He'll break character if you ask him a question as Mandy Patinkin, but he'll break character in a "I will break your face" sort of way, where he's not <laughs> amicable about. He's not like just gliding between the character and himself. If you break character and say, "Hey, Mandy, what time is it?" He'll go ape shit and stab you in the face. <laughs> not literally. No. I don't think it means what you think it means. No, Mandy Patinkin will stab you in the. He face. will stab you in the face. Wow. Okay. Good to know. He. Well, I know he was on one of those. Cop Which, shows was it Criminal Minds? I think, been. It, yes. and then might he was been, replaced yeah. with um, uh, Fat Tony. Uh, what's Fat Tony's actor's name? I don't remember. Um, Pizza the Hut. Fat Tony from yeah. the, the Simpsons? Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, uh, Joe Mantegna. Yeah. Joe Mantegna. And it broke my heart. The reason I, I bring it up isn't because lol. Let's painting. make fun of let's yeah. make fun of Mandy Patinkin, especially it's more with the Compt Waterback. This movie and other things that, in fact, all these actors have done. This movie might be the one most cherished thing. Like, there's, there's a movie every 20 years that comes along where it's like, that movie is insane and perfect, and people will, they won't even acknowledge that each other have seen it, they'll just go straight into the references. Yeah. how could you not have seen The Princess Bride? It's, it's, it's bizarre, because I wonder how many other parallels it has with Star Wars, where it's become a thing where people can reference it without context, and everyone else is with them <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah, I would say so. This, this, is definitely, this definitely made its way into the popular culture. Why do you yeah. think that is, Brian? <laughs> Start with somebody else this time. No, you never get to talk. That's why he yeah. makes sure to. <laughs> so, Brian, why is this movie? And you're trying so to ubiqui- ensure that he never does again. I know. Yeah, right? Seriously. Why, why is this movie so ubiquitously Damn. loved? I don't know. Uh, give exa- and give three examples. It's certainly in <laughs> persuasive essay. And please. cite my sources. Hang on. Let me uh, and show your math on a separate a podcast. Here. Uh, it's certainly a, one of those perfect, you know, at least candidates, and I would say entrance for in the perfect movie hall of fame. It's um, one of the things that I find very interesting that this movie succeeds at, and I have no idea how it does, but it it's like what you were saying earlier, Trey, and how it manages to it's it straddles this line between parodying itself and being funny, but also being completely serious, mm-hmm. and it's. I it straddles this very particular line that I don't think I've ever seen in any other movie where it is it is both seriously and sincerely doing what it's doing and also parodying what it's doing at the same time. True. Yeah. Michael, any theories? Um I I think it's got to be the characters. Uh it's the, that's what, you know, people are always bringing up and they're 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 also they're, they're very interesting characters. All of them are. Um, I mean, all the the bad guys, you know, Inigo and Vizzini and and um, uh, the Man in Black, Wesley, and uh, you know, they, they they keep running into new characters, and they don't 
repeat a character archetype. There's just something for kind of everyone to, you know, it's like, it's like Winnie the Pooh or something. Like there's, there, <laughs> there are all these different, the different personalities and there's at least one that you can latch onto and go, I love that character, you know? And I imagine, I don't know because I've never actually done a survey, but I imagine that if you asked a bunch of uh, people who their favorite Princess Bride character would is, divide you would, you would tend to get different answers and it would, generally in some way correlate to their personalities probably i think there's a mm. freudian poll that goes along with yeah. that too yeah yeah and a, Mi- and a myspace poll i'm sure <laughs> oh, yeah, there's, there's two facebook polls on which villain are you Trey, why do you think the princess bride is this thing it's uh, you know i'm like like i'd be able to give a definitive answer to that question so i'm just gonna spitball um it, first of all, it's timeless. I mean, it's been around since, what, 80, when when this movie? 87. 87, so more than 20 years. A fair year, a but, year in which our host was born. Yeah, mm-hmm. but but, uh, but other than, other than, mm-hmm. all right then, but other than, other than the video game that, yeah, that, yeah other being than played, hardball that's there. being played in the first frame of the movie, um, there's nothing dated about this movie because, of course, it's, you know, mostly a fairy tale, and if you look real close at the decoration in Fred Savage's room, you can find, you know, things that uh, are 20 years old, but it's not about that, so it's not featured very heavily. So it's like, if, you know, no matter what age you are, even if you were born the year this movie came out, um, you know, you're, you're able to discover it whatever, whatever age you do discover it, you know, and, and, and it's just, can be just as relevant and fun to you at that, at that age, so it's not like you had to be there to enjoy this movie. Um, that's certainly part of it, that, you know, that, that no matter who you are, if you see this, then you have no reason not to like it. Um, you can't go, oh, it's kind of an old ladies kind of a movie. You know, it doesn't have that problem. No, it does very much the all the classic tropes. If anything, yeah. you know, especially now that we're getting into this part, but it's very much like an Errol Flynn type of, you know, like the old Robin Hood, that kind of movie. You know, yeah. very consciously going back to um, the these... Like you say, very very timeless. It's like I I honestly until we until we looked it up, I thought this was a much older movie. Um, yeah, not, I would have not called because this early eighties. Not because it, me. yeah, not because it feels dated, but just because it feels it, it does feel because of the permeation and the culture and stuff. It feels like it's been a, around for a very long time. Mm. Um, and and you know stylistically, it's. It's fairly straightforward. Yeah, I I mean it, it's interesting because it's it's. It's not wildly stylistic like a lot of movies we get today, um, but yeah, there it was. There's, there, there's, there's the, yeah, there's there's the, the mysterious stuff behind yeah, the dirt again. Both of them, yeah. Um, but but because of that, it's it's harder to place, you know, than than a McGee movie will be yeah. twenty years from now. <laughs> yeah. We will know exactly what time yeah. that that movie or was a movie made. with bullet yeah. time in it or yeah, something like that. Exactly. In now, the Watchmen commentary, we talked about with Eddie Doty, uh, who is a fighter. Uh, the merits of this film, and now we're here with Dorkman Scott, who is a fight choreographer. Uh, yeah, knows a thing or two fight. about blade combat. Yeah. This, this, and, and Eddie's <laughs> opinion, and Eddie's opinion, as not only a fan of movies and as a fighter himself, whose whose opinion of this was in in, in atmos- like you know stratospheric esteem. Like I said, do you think this? How do you compare anything to the Princess Bride fight? And I think I think he said something like, "You really can't." Uh-huh. Michael, how do you feel about this fight in terms of storytelling and in terms of swordplay? Oh, in terms of sword, well, there it is that yeah, little moment. That but, one very fortuitous bar. Um, but obviously, you know, now it's, you know, again they're just being funny because, uh, come on, dude, you know he's not the fly. Uh, but um, <laughs> only but anyway. Jeff Goldblum is the fly. <laughs> Exactly. He has no Goldblums. Yeah, he, he they they haven't pulled out any Goldblums quite yet. Yeah. Um but um I I think this this fight scene is actually quite fantastic, especially for um uh for 
pretty, you know, getting getting fencing style stuff because it's 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 tricky to do fencing because because it's so kind of uh, you know linear. Um, there there are definite rules to fencing and stuff like that, and to to keep it interesting and to keep it moving is very challenging. Um, uh, I'm totally blanking on the name of the guy who does all this stuff, but he he worked on this and he did Lord of the Rings and uh, uh, Bill Hodges, I think, is his name, something like that. Um, can't believe I'm blanking on that name. Yeah. But um, what do we pay you for? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I've got his book and everything, but I, I've suddenly forgotten his name. Um, Bill Hobbs. I want to say Hobbs, but that might just be because I like Calvin and Hobbs. But um, <laughs> what impresses me most is the bits where they're fighting left-handed because yeah. because they actually are. And as far as I well, even if one or both of them is left-handed, then they're fighting right-handed for the other half of yeah. the fight, and that's just as hard. So that that bit is actually um, very impressive to me, and it, it keeps moving forward, and it's very exciting. I. I I really like that fight scene, and uh, yeah, there's, if no, anything, there's no doubt that they did their training. Oh yeah, you know, at least to look convincing in their fighting. Oh yeah, they did a great job, and uh, if anything, I just wish there was more of it in this movie because yeah. <laughs> they did a really good job. Now I, you know, I, I enjoy it very much, it, and and it has that, you know, and, and tell, you can tell me whether I'm wrong, whether I'm wrong because you're more of the the fencing blade expert than me, but it definitely has that you know style of choreography that's made to look fancy because it's like. Neither one of them is trying to like outright kill the other, which is in a real fight you would be doing. Right. You know, it's made to look like you know more of the the art and the dance of it, and a little more stage combaty. But well, that's the know, whole thing. Not that totally there's anything combat. wrong with that, but the, you know, and then the fact that it's beautifully done and it's all about these 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 amazing exchanges, which which wouldn't really happen in a real fight. You would look for your opening and make your stab, right? Move and make the guy lie down. In real life, stage as opposed to stage combat, sword fights are over in essentially three seconds. Yeah. If they, or, they, uh, if if. If you're good, um, right? If or if one guy's good, <laughs> it only takes one guy to be good for the sword fight to be quick. But um, yeah, yeah. But but that goes back to the question he asked about story and character. Um, I, and I mean, yeah. I, I, I we've talked about this before. I think Eddie talked about this in the Watchmen commentary about um, a, a, the fighting style has to show character and reveal something about character. True. Because because otherwise you're just stopping the movie yeah. for like two three minutes yeah. to have this fight scene which neither, works with the Jackie Chan movie. In this particular but, in that particular scene neither one of them wanted to kill the other. Exactly. They were enjoying the challenge of the fight. Exactly. So they you wanted get away to prolong they wanted to prolong it and just try each other and test each other. Exactly. Right? So yeah. so it's it it's you know all, all movies do the thing where they make it more about the dance and stuff like that as you say but um but in this, the characters were doing that intentionally to kind of show off and be like, hey, what do you think of this? <laughs> yeah, so. ah, let me show you how good I am. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that, yeah, neither one of them has really ever met anyone who's as good as they are right. and, and was enjoying that, that, that fact. And, uh, and then summed up by, you know, Wesley at the end by saying, I, I'm not going to kill you. I'd as soon destroy a work of art, you know. Right. It's like, I have no reason to kill you. So here's Andre the Giant, who yes is, oh, is there we go. a very a very very large 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 fellow who you know would win his wrestling matches mostly by being very large and, <laughs> and being you know no one you can't knock him off his feet because he's too damn large. Bob Anderson there was, is the choreographer's name. I can't believe that. That's that's now, shameful. Do you want to talk about a name uh, like Bob Anderson? Yeah, Bob <laughs> well, Anderson. that's true. But doesn't he have a steakhouse or something? I, I like to have his his steaks. <laughs> oh, that's good. This is a. 
This is a great look sequence how to look his at. Head is. It's like a pumpkin. Andre, he does. He didn't come by the name by accident, Andre the Giant. Yeah, he's a big he's fellow, a big big guy. He's a large and, French and man. And of course, to his detriment, because as we mentioned earlier, and I guess we can go into it now, Andre the Giant had severe back problems later in his yeah. life, and he didn't live very long. Obviously, he yeah, died he died. He died age. relatively young. But he had, as a you know, the, the various you know pituitary and 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 bone structural problems that he had uh, caused him to have severe back pain, and he couldn't lift things period he, he he was a wrestler for a while and then got to the point where he could no longer function as a you know behemoth because just the nature of what happens when your body is that huge yeah he couldn't lift robin wright penn at the end of the movie and when she, fall, when, she falls into, when she falls into her his arms she's on a wire and in this sequence he's uh i don't know if he's strapped up here it might be a I don't know what it would be here maybe a double or maybe he could handle that because he was just you know hunkered over i don't no, know no he uh it, for the for the long shots, go back and watch it because it's a great uh, lesson in seeing a scene being edited w- between a double and between the actual actor. Because any shot where you actually see whoever it is carrying him, it's not Andre. And then for the close-ups, uh, Carrie always is like on an apple box or on some kind of you know. Huh. There, there's a s- assistance so that Andre oh, really? is not carrying the weight. Yeah, and surprisingly, that body double, Jackie Earl Haley, he knew. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so no, it wasn't. in terms of in terms of uh, seeing sequences for how to when and how to cut for uh, body doubles, that's a it's a good example. Yeah. Now, this of course, I believe it's the first time we've seen Mr. Christopher Guest in the movie, who will become very important uh, shortly. We heard him earlier when he was talking on the uh, the precipice up there. Yes, that's uh, that's true. Here we go. But um, yeah, but, uh, is this, this really this early in the movie? Though? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The no, moment. we're actually half an hour in. The that's most great, the, the most Princess quotable Pride. scene probably of all time, and and most people quote it and just quote it wrong. But if you get the gist, it's still within. It's I can still quote this whole the, goddamn. I'm sure scene. you can. Oh, I'm so proud uh, of myself. But the the Christopher Guest. Uh, I mean, we should point out we haven't even uh, yet. To, we have yet to even mention the very important name of Rob Reiner, who has a little bit uh, to say about this movie. Um, Rob Reiner being, of course, the director of this film. Oh, the director. Yeah, who actually has something uh, some value to uh, to import um he, in this case i think rob reiner's main miraculous achievement was he didn't screw it up at um, all you know he, what, he even he didn't get in the way of the story and just told it and there's not a lot of flash and a lot of nothing flowery and he just got it done and got it on the screen and, and god bless him we've probably got about three minutes to talk about rob reiner and then a conversation will ensue but let's spend this moment talking about wallace shawn <laughs> <laughs> Inconceivable. One of my all-time favorite character actors. They'll always need a whiny, bitchy villain. I mean, yeah. you know, you always hear about... Oh, Zoom and Dolly. Look at that. Yeah, oh, there's a couple, there's a couple Where's your no-flash now, sir? <laughs> yeah. Wow, he went all like, you know, jeez, he you went know, all Matrix on us all of a sudden there. Michael, you might appreciate this. You're not... You're, you're, you know, versed enough in old school, the Force.net visual effects tutorials to oh know. Dear. I went oh through boy. a period where I didn't have a camera and I was thinking, well, I can practice Force Lightning on real footage because I had that, I was mentioning a VCR setup that was my dual monitor. I could record that into the computer with a Dazzle setup that I had, which was very oh, fancy. Dazzle. Oh. Dazzle asterisk, I think it was called. And uh, I recorded that sequence where he's, Wesley is reaching straight out with his hand and I used that still frame as my Force Lightning plate for about three months wallace sean in this scene basically sets a precedent for the remainder of his career where (laughs) guess what he does he does angry high-pitched lisping guy like that's his thing i'm not sure that's setting the stage for his career i think that's kind of came that how he taught exactly He kind of he, showed up there. He was kind of cast appropriately. Yeah. Really, I don't think he ever right. walked into an audition or casting room. I'd like to be the romantic, the romantic lead. lead yeah. Well, I, I kind of saw myself as the romantic lead. I, I guess that brings up 
And oftentimes in a movie you can forget the casting director, but in this movie everything is so great. Uh, I wonder, and and I guess Trey is the only one that's read the book out of out of well, me and me and Trey are the only ones that ages read the ago, book. Ages ago, yeah, for me. I, I you know it's it's odd. I would not have come to even if I even if I somehow had the knowledge having seen the Princess Bride, but obviously hadn't been cast. I don't think I even would have come to you know that guy would have been a great Vizzini. I don't know who you'd <laughs> yeah. cast as Vizzini. Yeah, he was just obviously he was over the top even in the book, but this this portrayal which is frankly just Wallace Shawn in a rag like that's just <laughs> yeah. him he's not even doing a, an accent of any kind that's you know him. which of course has become a, a, along with you know Christopher Walken and William Shatner a Wallace Shawn impression yeah. will get you into SNL do the Wallace Shawn <laughs> that's perfect absolutely perfect and mm. it's I, I I almost want to say that I wish I had seen him more in movies up until this point but I, I feel like Wallace Shawn is another known quantity like Goldblum, <laughs> where <laughs> yeah. you can't really – if you have more than one Wallace Shawn every four years, you've kind of gotten sick. That's too many Shawns. Uh, it's too many Shawns. It's an over-Shawn. You can it's, see it, – um, It's one too many Wally. Yeah. You can see a, quite a bit of him in uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, where he plays a Ferengi. What you, is it with over-the-top you know, character He's kind of born to play a Ferengi, isn't he? I guess yeah, that was inevitable. Yeah, he really is. He plays the head of the Ferengi society, and it really is a perfect, perfect role I'm so glad you called, because I've been thinking I was just born to play a Ferengi. Wallace Shawn, who's a playwright, I guess, and yes, also most, a most writer known and as a, playwright. a columnist. Yeah, which is... Theater. Big theater guy. Oh, totally. He totally moves like he's like a dwarf, by the way. <laughs> the way yeah. he moves his arms, it seems like he's disproportionate. He's, yeah. he's short, but he's not. He's just he's really a, twitchy. He's I, a little person, but not a little person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I love his... The, you always see in movies these people that are supposed to be bald but aren't, so they shave their head in a bald pattern, but you can see their <laughs> follicles, and uh-huh. it's like, oh, that's bizarre. But I love at the top of his bald Mount Rushmore, <laughs> that's for beautiful, real. this crest of scalp. You see that little curly cue that he's got going on on both sides? <laughs> it's, it's adorable. It's, it's very, like, Munchkin land. Yes. Very, oh, God. Maybe is. that's why and I'm thinking of it. He looks so much like a carpet at the Mirage that it's almost bizarre to see him talking. But. And he has the dreamiest blue eyes. <sighs> He does. They're like crystal never go pools. in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. And this this moment, perfect, where he goes from alive to dead, just yeah, freezes. This is and then oh, gone. And he's gone. He falls asleep like a baby in Monsters Inc. Great. It's, like, it's like it's like it's almost like they freeze frame the the film itself. Yeah. But then he just tilts. We out. also passed right by one of our, our, our great quotable lines: "Is the uh, the land war in Asia is one of the great blunders is never enter into a land war in Asia." Which, when I saw this in the theater, that was definitely a, that was a way Homer joke. I mean, there was a there was a definite beat of silence. And then the laugh came when people did finally it, did got it. Did it play on a Vietnam War level with people? That's, that's it- what it was. That's what that's what the joke meant to me and everybody else in the theater in 1987 was, you know, it's 10 years after we can finally admit that, that Vietnam was a mistake. And that was a tacit little joke about it, you know, that we can actually, you know, it was finally not too soon to make a joke <laughs> about Vietnam. Um, oh, someday in my life I wish to be man enough to pull a River Phoenix Indiana Jones onto a horse where you jump off the the plateau onto a horse and ride off. You, you will, yeah. You got you got to level up your manhood, yeah. Just because or, of what you're going to lose, yeah, or, or, get, <laughs> or get rid of it in advance. Exactly. One of the two. Put you know, if you can tuck it aside like a drag queen, maybe or something. If you have that skill, I do. Oh no, you don't want to tuck it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's fair. putting it right in the line of fire. Yeah, that's true. Fair enough. That horse will destroy your balls. Yeah. So, so once again, here we are with uh, you know in in what is kind of a silly, campy scene on the page. 
but being played completely straight by these two actors, and it wouldn't have worked any other way. Yeah. Um, and this, you we're know, talking to I, you, right. epic movie and whatever. That's, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> take epic a lesson. Movie date movie. Does, yeah, take a lesson. Yeah, this, this, is a, this is a perfect example people. of the where this straddles this line. That I don't know how it succeeds in doing it. I, I real. I wish I could f- figure it out, but it's both doing it completely sin- with complete sincerity and. But the audience is laughing. No, no, that, that's but what's, it's, what's it's not happening. A comedic though. scene, though. No, no, because what's happening is I, I think the. The movie knows, like the writing knows that it's over the top. The writing is being over the top, but the characters don't know it's over right, the top. right, right. The characters are doing all. it. Yeah, and you that's know, what funny. makes it work. Yeah, during exactly. that sequence, and this is this might be a really off the cuff <laughs> statement, but it's it's easy to get into that kind of uh, situation. By the way, of taking it seriously when you're dressed like this, you're like, <laughs> yeah. I'll say anything you want me to, and we can totally get away with it. <laughs> I will kind of fake a British accent, but not really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unlike w- other Robin Hoods, I can speak with during a British that whole accent. sequence. I was uh, the whole thing between Wesley and, and what's her name, Buttercup, Buttercup, where I, w- Buttercup. I just keep wanting to say Robin Wright Penn. Because Robin Wright, Penn, Robin Wright because, Wright at the time, and, and asterisk footnote because Robin Wright Penn. Uh, I was thinking, who would adapt this movie now? <laughs> I went straight to which is basically a punchline of that conversation. I, I just imagine Michael Bay making that scene, oh. <laughs> and it would have been oh. this insane. <laughs> you never know what true love is. Hans Zimmer score rises. Optimus Prime walks Cameras by. Me. You know what though? No, you know what though. At that level, it could also almost work. <laughs> like it's yeah. it's go- it's shot over the moon and come back again. At that point, it would still work if the actors played it straight. Yes, if yes. the yeah. actors played it straight, you could do almost anything in the background or around them, and it'll it'll work in its way. If I don't think anyone's ever accused of people of, in a Michael Bay movie not playing it straight. Right. I think the they're prob- trying. I think the problem is they're trying. Well, yeah. The, Sometimes the, the act, from the most That's, part, the well, at least the main act, Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox. I mean, they yeah. They obviously, take it we ser- know what movie we're thinking of here. Right. 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 <laughs> what movie? Fox knows what they're thinking. Um, no. But well, the secondary Megan Fox realizes are, that she's in movies. I don't know if yeah. she's aware that at that level of things. But I don't think Michael Bay, at least at this point in his career, takes it seriously. No. And you need the Princess Bride works because Rob Reiner is taking the material seriously as well. And yeah. Michael Bay certainly does these not. These guys at this are just point. actors, yeah. Yeah, these guys and, and unknown actors at the time. I mean, they which you is know, awesome. It's uh, this, what an amazing once again casting director. This movie Jesus was Christ. very. If these guys, if either of these folks had been in anything before, it certainly wasn't you know notable, and they weren't known stars. They were both really unknowns as far as the as far as big you know movie stars. This really put both of them on the map. Um, enough that she was able to be, meet a very nice boy named Sean Penn and marry him for a while. Um, and Carrie Elwes went on Which to... unfortunate. Yeah, Carrie Elwes went on to, to kind of, you know, spoof this character many times and do other things. He did the Robin Hood movie. He did... He did uh, um, he did the, uh, the what was it? Charlie Sheen movies, Hot Shots, Hot Shots, which also were kind of spoofy parody movies. You know. It made an interesting semi comedic turn in Liar Liar with Jim Carrey. Yeah, and then showed up in Saw, Saw. of all things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's actually disappeared he, for a while and then showed up. Right, yeah. because you he's know quite a good actor. He's a great want, actor. They don't want him to saw through his handcuffs. They want him to saw through his feet. Yes. Does anyone know if this is actually some someplace in England or, or Europe? Or it if certainly this is looks lo- like. Oh, it's in England. It yeah. looks very English. Yeah, this stuff is in England. And we, I, and this we were saying reminds that- me. It's so bizarre. It's such a statement about looping because yeah. clearly there was no audio to be found yeah. on. Yeah, this clearly location. this was a bad day, and they just had to get this shot because you look at them. They're like this, blowing like hell right there. <laughs> the wind <laughs> is about to knock those guys off their horses. It's straight up Ireland in that shot. Yeah, it may well Wait, be Ireland. Another zoom, Brian. Look at this. Yeah, the zoom. Ah! The zoom very slick. Very nice. 
<laughs> but uh, and also it was we were starting to say Christopher Guest, who who um, this was after Spinal Tap, so he was at least known from that. And Spinal Tap, of course, was Rob Reiner's first movie, first non TV movie. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Spinal Tap was huge, and then he also had already done Stand by Me, which is what which is what made people go, "Wow, that Rob Reiner, he can do a, a serious movie," um, even with Mister Mister Will Wheaton in it. And Mr. River Phoenix. Hey, Wheaton. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> what was the, uh, it was the Family Guy that had that great parody. It's like, uh, yeah, Family Guy did the, did the Stand By Me parody. Yeah, where yeah. they go, yeah, the fat kid married, you know, the, the supermodel. That they he got married. Richard Dreyfuss Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Can you believe it? No, seriously, that's not he a joke. He married her. That's not part of Family Guy. Yeah, that's, that's true. The fat kid from Stand By Me really married, married Rebecca Romaine. Oh, <laughs> Whoever the hell it was, yeah. No, it's Rebecca Romaine. Good it job. is Rebecca, formerly Rebecca Romaine Stamos of John Stamos. Of By the way, there's a anyway. IMDb trivia would have us know that Mark Knopfler agreed to this movie, and he did, based on the one stipulation that they put the hat from Spinal Tap in, which is on his bedpost. On, on Fred Savage's bedpost. You've got the, yeah, exactly. You've got mm. the, you've got your worth out of down in front this week. Come back next week for more <laughs> I have single actually, pieces yeah. of iron. Archie, Archie, exactly. I was gonna, I was gonna say the other one. We know it's in England because that was in the IMDb trivia too. Because, <laughs> because the the castle that they film in at the end was a castle that's been there since like the freaking, you know, the the Normans invaded the country yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, actually, like most of their castles, yeah, that's what they're true. for is because yeah. oh crap, here come the Normans. <laughs> <laughs> we better build a castle. <laughs> I don't know if you guys read this or not, but there was an article on Dig, and I guess it made the rounds a while back about castles, actual castles, like it was the top ten castles, uh-huh. and. uh you see these and you're like, wow, that's actually a, like a you know stereotypical castle castle, and you recognize all of them from movies. And yeah. the number one is one I think it's I think it's in Belgium. I might be wrong, but it's somewhere on in Belgium or like on the border of Belgium, one of the other countries, that you recognize from a bunch of movies. Uh, not the least of which are Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Spaceballs. It's that castle <laughs> where you're wow. like, motherfucker, it's a range. castle. And, and you yes, find it's out. Yes, it's very, very and it was German made, exactly, yes, fairyland yeah, kind of castle. It's a straight up, like, you know, rescue sort of designed castle, like Excalibur, where yeah. you look at it and you go, Jesus, it's from all those movies. And you find out, like, the history of it. This, this article outlined, and it was really made by, and the answer for that one was, a guy in the 30s who wanted a castle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's not a real beat-up, nasty Oh, here we go. It's not a real castle. Oh, here's, 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 here's the William by. Goldman story. Now, now this, this particular edition that we're watching of Princess Bride has a commentary track by William Goldman, which, if you have that edition, why are you even bothering to listen to us? Yeah. Um, I, the fifth down in fronter is better than all of down in yes, front. Yes, William, Gold, William Goldman, the author of this book. Seriously, we're just ripping shit off the IMDb page. Seriously. Oh, yeah. you know, we have some opinions. But uh, I'll tell one of Bill's stories that he told in one of his great books um, about... Finally, being able to see this movie get made and being excited about the cast, and he especially was extremely excited by Robin Wright. Robin Wright, he just you know she was you know the vision of Buttercup in his head that he'd had for twenty years, however long it was since he wrote the book, and to see her like in the flesh. And he was there when this fire swamp scene was being shot. He was on this set, standing there watching it being shot, and he watched the two of them come through the fire swamp and, and just was just like, my God, my, my book is coming to life right before my eyes. And then the fire swamp jet went off and set her dress on fire. And according to Bill Goldman, he ruined a take by screaming, her dress is on fire, her dress is on fire. Yeah. And, and they cut and everyone looked at him and was like, yeah, Bill, her dress is on fire. You, <laughs> you wrote that, you wrote that to, <laughs> to happen. We That's the, set it a go again. And, and he was like, but he was so 
just being there, he, he was, was so, so freaked out. He was so in, Her dress is on fire. He was so <laughs> enthralled by seeing this his book come to life right before his eyes that he was he was literally living the moment. And when her dress caught fire, he was surprised because now, he didn't expect it to, to, that to happen. I don't know the answer to this question, and I guess that anecdote he was forty two. The way the way he uh, the way he says it in the Scotch. book too is great. He's like, "This is why they don't let me on movie sets anymore." Let me tell you why they don't let me on movie sets anymore. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. That's a perfect segue. I don't understand the answer to this, and obviously that anecdote would go a long way in a conversation following the question but the question is do you guys know why writers don't belong on movie sets it varies for the movie set some some they very much are some they very much are welcome on the set yeah but when when the relationship is healthy they're yeah. allowed but it, when it's yeah. the studio it's uh, studios and networks have a tendency of well the script needs a rewrite for some reason and for whatever reason their reasoning is that they can't give it to the first writer yeah, God knows yeah. why, but it's basically neuroses on the on the studio part. So then it's not allowing the writer on set as a as an outgrowth of that. We can't let the writers because then he'll just demand that we do it his way. And what right. the fuck does he know? Or the, or it can sometimes be sometimes the directors. Sometimes like that. the director, you know, true, just true, wants true. to be able to do whatever and doesn't want anyone else's opinion. You know, it's anyone. You know, if you're Rob Reiner and you're still a fairly early untried director and Bill Goldman, you know, is available, you should have Bill Goldman. Right. Because by the by that time he'd you know, he he was Bill Goldman. He was already a big deal. He'd won the Oscar for Butch Gassing the Sundance Kid and blah blah blah. And he was a, a big Hollywood screenwriter. So, you know, you probably can't not have William Goldman on the set of The Princess Bride. Um but uh, it's yeah, it's it's there's no rule one way or the other. Um it's it's totally driven by the production and by by the director and, and by how they want to handle it. Yeah. Being a screenwriter is kind of like being a pimp. They're like, we paid you, so now we're going to fuck it as much as we want. Yeah. Like, that's basically what that's happens. Right. We got two hours. That was the deal. <laughs> which is an invert. Which is- Someone put that on a shirt, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> being a screenwriter is kind of like being a pimp. We paid for it, so let's fuck it as we far get, as we Now can. we get to fuck it as much as we want. Which is an interesting uh, reversal from how... Uh, playwriting is how plays in yeah. theater. Oh is yeah, how, I mean you don't change shit. Yeah, you, whatever the playwrights' words are, those yeah. are the words of God. Well, and, and you strangely, don't change them. unless it's an underworld. And strangely Andrew enough, it's play, yeah. In which case, you well, know. it's and and weirdly enough, television is the exact opposite. Television is writer's medium, and the director is the guy who can go suck it. Right, he doesn't right. Like it, um, you know the the because because oh that was a nice little flair. Yeah, but, but very anyway. nice. A television a television show is of course you know the people who de- drive the a television show creatively are the writers who the, who are there every week and they've planned out the entire thirty you know twenty six or 30, 13 episodes. They know where the story is going. The director is often a guy who just is there for the week to do you know whatever has been put in front of him. A director of a television show doesn't get to go. I had this great idea for your character. You know. Yeah. Yeah, shut up. Name one, name two. Yeah, you can, you're here to hang the drapes, pal. You don't get to like have ideas. So it's it's very much you know movies are just it's just how it is. Movies are more of a director's medium, and television is more of a writer's medium in terms just of the who, way, who has just, the power. It's just the way the system has grown into itself over time. Yeah, we're about to get into the sequence with the RUSs, which is I don't think fantastic. Whatever. And here's your IMDb <laughs> trivia. <laughs> we dig deep. Rob Reiner is the voice of the RUSs, but whatever. Uh, but we're talking uh, about the RUSs, and we can skip this sequence because, hey, who cares about puppets, right? <laughs> but- <laughs> the, the RUS doesn't get him at this point. I can see you're concerned, so we can mm-hmm. we can skip this part. But there's a moment when Wesley's coming out of the sand pit. Where now you it's going to hump him. Yeah, and that's what's happening. That's yet. what makes it Oh, wrong. that's not right. That's not right. This I don't so care if you bite me. It's nice. This is so very easy. That's actually quite a good puppet. It's, you know, we don't care about puppets, but it's, you know, obviously, again, yeah, it's a guy in a suit, but uh, you know, it's, it's a good one. It's a good one. Now, we, you know, 
we can talk about the RUSs, and rightfully so, because one of our one of our esteemed panelists happens to be a professional puppeteer. But we'll get past that That's because awesome. who gives a shit about Trace? Well, you know, I don't yeah. like to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One thing I always noticed when watching this movie repeatedly when I was in junior high was uh, that there's a. It might have been an editorial de- decision. Just the best take they had was this one, or it might have been something deeper than that. I don't know. In the book, Wesley represents pretty much impenetrable hero monomyth stuff. But in the edit here, there's a sequence where he gets pulled out of the the, the quicksand, which we just saw. I guess it would be dry sand. Uh, The lightning sand, as they call it. The the shot they chose of Carrie Elwood's coming out shows him gasping for air in a way that is it's clearly a human trying to breathe as opposed to the hero being like, I got this. Where it's the shot of Carrie Elwood's like... (laughs) He's, he's like really trying to breathe, which for one reason or another, and there's so many much more even subtly obvious and straight up capital O obvious things that they could have that, that could have resonated with me as a viewer. But the one thing that always got me, and and of the whole movie, the one thing that always got me is that shot of Carrie Elwes or the Man in Black, who is now Wesley. Congratulations, Mr. Carrie Elwes. You get to make out with Robin Wright. And have two names. And have two names. <laughs> she gets three, though, so what do you... <laughs> Screw it. You know, whatever. It's, it's a, he gets top billing because he's got good eyebrows. The, the shot where he's breathing hard, and, and there's a shot where you can, you can see, and it's not even so much... It might have resonated with me on a level beyond storytelling. It might have been with an actor thing. Because you can see that when he's inhaling coming out of the, the lightning sand, Sand is going into his throat. Mm. <laughs> he's he's come out of the sand. Clearly, it's a movie. I understand that. Even when I'm when I'm 14 and watching this movie, and well, he still a lot. probably was in a pit of sand well, for yeah. a few you, minutes. You, you so get a pit of sand always, and breathe. It's going to happen. Carrie always was in the sand as an actor, and they said, "All right, pop out." He's he's half an inch under the sand, but that take where he's going, <gasps> you can it clearly was, see little specks of sand going into his throat, and he's like. Between the portrayal of that and probably the actor's primary influence of, ow, sand, <laughs> you can see this moment of pain and truly, like, this insane <laughs> yeah, yeah. enlightenment, like, oh, oh that flower is good. beautiful, I'm alive, this is a wonderful thing, where he's... Well, he's, it was it was real. It was... It was uh, completely real. <laughs> and that's very real. I mean, that's the holy grail of acting, and that's the, the kind of the cliche thing, is I want it to be real, and I want to have a real, real moment. Is this the hit coming up? The famous hit? When the camera rolls, try to kill yourself. Yeah, the that's how... <laughs> yeah. The, the famous that hit is moment. coming up. Trey, tell us about this famous well, the, the, hit. Well, the story goes, and let's look at it, is that when this scene where he's like, we're honest men and we should not lie this whole lie about how he's going to be let go he knows he's not going to be let go um and someone clips him on the head um uh the story goes that he got clipped on the head pretty hard so let's let's look at because the shot. He, but well g- he going said, off for what it. you he were said, saying he's it. like just hit me as hard as you can do it real do it you know so let's, let's see said please hit me as hard as you can which is funny because you always hear about actors saying no let's really fight which, well, this well, is funny because it's the, it's the one you don't. Have said, you may not have said hit me as hard as you can, but he just you may have said you know don't you know he, he don't said, don't me. try and like don't pull you know, the punch. Carrie Elwes that, literally knocked out. And it doesn't and even look like being, much. Being ding done, ding ding on the head by that big sword pommel though. That, that definitely Elwes could ring your bell. Went to the hospital for two days, and he locked out the production until he came uh, back. Ow. Way to uh, go, Christopher my head. Interesting anecdote from when we did this in college. It, our our Count Rugen was actually a female, and there was I oh, think nice. it, was our, it was our second awesome. night. Yeah, our the second night was Played the disaster by night. Weaver? <laughs> I hope no. she'd be an awesome <laughs> Count awesome. Rugen. Anyway, th- our, this night, the particular night, was an absolute disaster, and uh, our our Wesley 
completely blanked on his line and it, <laughs> because we because she was a woman we had to change it so instead of you know we're we're men of action we don't it had to be we're people of action or something like that <laughs> and he completely something. just completely dropped the ball and was like we're people we're people and we we just don't lie to each other <laughs> <laughs> or remember our lines yeah. apparently <laughs> This is uh, Mel oh, somebody, that. the Mel albino something. Mel something. He's a British character actor. You've seen him in a thousand things if you've watched much British stuff. Um, he's in a movie that I really enjoyed. That uh, was an '80s film that's actually quite funny called Morons from Outer Space. If you ever have a chance to see that movie, it's actually quite bizarre uh, and fun. And he's one of the morons from outer space. That's my favorite explanation for the the Jackie Earl Haley Christian Bale voice. Which is just, this needs character? To clear his throat. This character just needs to clear his throat. It's not that he's that guy where he's talking like you are the pit of like, despair. <laughs> the pits of despair. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great bit. You know, and, it, and obviously, it's playing, making, making a joke to the fact that those characters tend to talk like that for no particular reason. So he starts out talking like that and then clears his throat. Like, said, no, sorry. A matter of aside, I actually had a boss that talked like that once, and the entire time I was petrified. <laughs> I can imagine so. You would be too. Don't judge me. That guy talked like death. T, did you get the report done yet? No, I swear. I was just checking my email. T, are you on Facebook? Now, okay. No, I don't do that. What? Uh, uh, it's only a model. Mm. We, we've, uh, <laughs> we've, we've talked about almost people. everyone else. We've really kind of covered everybody, but we haven't really talked in depth about Christopher Guest. We mentioned him, we but we haven't gotten to, him, yeah. but <laughs> the movie's moving so you know darn what, fast. You've yeah. been sitting there looking like a bored, silent puppy for the last ten minutes. Talk about Christopher Guest. Do you have an opinion? <laughs> it's it's funny because because going back and, and watching... Um, uh, watching some of these movies again and, and having seen a lot of the other stuff, Waiting for Guffman and stuff like that, b- before I was kind of aware of was know, able to actors string or whatever. Actors yeah. together. Like, yeah. I, I watch it, I'm like, holy shit, Christopher Guest is my childhood. Like, <laughs> he's in everything. <laughs> he's in everything from the 80s. It's crazy. It's um, bizarre. The thing I remember him most from, and I, 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 I'm the guy on the planet. There's six billion, maybe coming up on seven billion people, and I still am the one guy that doesn't like Spinal Tap at all. Mm. I just never made me think I was Well, that's funny. nitpicking, isn't it? It is, it is. <laughs> it's Spinal Tap goes I, to 11. I see what you did there. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but Christopher Guest, the one thing I remember from is not Spinal Tap, but Little Shop of Horrors. Sure. Wow, what a fantastic plan. See, mm. I... Walks I, out. Like, that's his one scene. No, until, until re-watching it... In- recently because i watched little shop of horrors i i mean i had noticed it before we did it for down in front but i had watched little shop of horrors like constantly through not as much as you watch this movie fig but um, <laughs> i i watched it pretty constantly and and not until maybe three years ago did i watch it and go that's christopher guess <laughs> who just came in and started ranting about roses um uh i think he's great because he's uh like <laughs> I, I'm, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten into tv I either you go ahead. What what? I was just gonna say this character played by Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Her? Yeah, it's Morgan Freeman. See the the mole? It's clearly Morgan. Oh, Freeman. I yeah. see. That's true. I'm like, well, those are his eyebrows oh. for sure. Andy Dufresne climbed through five hundred. Yeah, exactly. Foul smelling shit. Princess Buttercup was a Morgan Freeman as the crone. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Christopher Guest. That would work. Um, it could. <laughs> he played an Irishman. He could play her. Um, maybe that's why they call me Red. Yeah. Uh, I'd I'd listen to him rant at Buttercup in that scene. That would be awesome. <laughs> you know what? Good. Let's let's remake it and make that happen. Um, yeah, I think uh, Christopher Guest is great, and I'm I'm especially I like um the kind of humor 
in the movies he does, William for Guffman and Best in Show and stuff like that. I'm surprised he hasn't done more TV because a lot, like The Office, is very much in that vein. You would have expected yeah. him to show up on The Office yeah. by now. Yeah. Or, it's almost or like the, the especially office with The Office, uh, that whole style. The of Office owes yeah. a lot to him. Improv yes, comedy. Really. Exactly, yeah. exactly, and and that's what's At least great. The American is Office, obviously, he yeah. can go so. There, there are so few people who can be so ridiculous with such a straight face, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and he manages to pull it off, and and I love him for it. It's funny. I had kind of you know grown with, although I didn't like Spinal Tap. I kind of grew with the Waiting for Guffmans and all that. You know, Catherine O'Hara and that and Eugene Lovely, that group of people. That, Second City and, and the that Second crowd. City people that kind of grew. Also, I, I had Rick also Moranis, when I was also uh, when I was working at Blockbuster, I worked at the Blockbuster that Christopher Guest went to. You're going to be Tarantino, Ooh. dude. But I uh, but I was never there when when he came in. Aww. But I was I was told that because because he actually would send his wife Jamie Lee Curtis in, and she <laughs> knew Blockbuster. What I I came I came out from one of my breaks one time, and she was ringing customers up to get them out. Like that's how often she was there, and how cool they were with. What's her. really interesting about Guest. <laughs> In, in this movie especially is that so much of his shots uh, he doesn't move at all <laughs> and everything is his eyes he just he, he's, he's if you watch him just even when he's just in the background of a shot that's not about him he's often completely focused on Chris Sarandon in a way that's almost a little disturbing mm-hmm. and and sometimes he just he just he doesn't move an inch and it's just his eyes going from one character to the other and it's just it, it has this great intensity and it's a great example of acting by doing Virtually oh, nothing yeah. as far as, the, like, well, what's he doing? Well, he's not doing anything. But he's, that's what makes it he's, interesting. He's a very um, – I, I think I think what makes it work for a lot of the stuff he does is he's a, he is a very generous actor. Like, he's not he's not in there trying to get be funny in the shot or yeah. whatever. He's like, I'm just going to stand here. Because appro- if I need to be funny, I know I can be, and, and so do the rest also of you. Appropriate but I'm just going to chill for a little while. It's appropriate for the character he is. He's, he's yeah. Chris Sarandon's lackey. He doesn't – there's nothing for him to do until he's given an order to do something. Right. And until then, he's just, you know, coiled energy waiting he, to be unleashed. That's he knows it. He knows how his part and his role fits into the larger picture, and he's able yeah. to play to that. When he gets which to, is not something every, all, every yeah. actor is capable of doing. And at the end of the movie, when he gets to, like, you know, do what he wants to do, that's when he lets go. That's right. when he becomes It's very, like, okay, this is my scene, this is my time. Very and, and flamboyant. Both I'm as a character and as an actor. Right. Trey, there was your line, the, if we don't have your health. If you, you don't, don't have have get some rest, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And I love it because, again, they're, they're talking about the most heinous things. And you, you know that at some point Goebbels said that to Hitler. I oh, mean, yeah. you just know that that happened. We're going to come up here in a second with a one of... I, I've been looking forward to this conversation since the beginning down in front, which is the nipple torture sequence. But we're coming to there. We've got 45 seconds, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill that 45 seconds Not to with 50. This. Once again, I was, I was saying that I've followed Christopher Guest I, I, from, a child, from my childhood, Little Shop of Horrors, and then growing up, waiting for Guffman, sure, blah, 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 blah. The, uh, the one movie I was holding out on from the, uh, the whole crowd was the uh, – I never saw Best in Show until like th- four or five weeks ago, very recently, like last month. Uh, and Christopher Guest plays this bizarre southerner with a dog, <laughs> yes. like a blue tick dog. And, and, and directed, of course, obviously. Oh, that too. But he uh, – Christopher Guest – and it's funny because I had all these weird disparate characters that Christopher Guest had played in, in my lifetime that I had never once thought, you know what? You have to be a genius to do that. And then when I finally saw <laughs> yeah. Best in Show – it was like the icing on this cake that I hadn't even baked yet. Whereas, like, <laughs> you know what? Christopher Guest is truly a genius. He's like 
Andy Kaufman, Dana Carvey level genius. But Be- it's like Jesus Christ, that guy can do anything. Best yeah. in Show has one of my favorite commentaries about that character because there's a scene where he's just talking to the camera and he's talking about when he got bored as a kid, he would start like listing off the names of nuts. Like <laughs> I you know, remember that. Nut- I and, remember but, that. The, but the best part was on the commentary because they're ju- they're just kind of rolling and doing like, stuff. I didn't know that many nuts. He did. Yeah. He was like he was like I started I started doing it and I I knew like the names of three nuts. <laughs> and and the whole time I'm doing this scene, in my it was hard to do. Not only because I didn't know the names of nuts, but because I'm distracting myself, thinking, "Why did I start doing this? <laughs> like, how did I start myself on this conversation?" Seemed like a good when idea. When I was a kid, I thought this cameo was Robin Williams for one reason or another. <laughs> Seems like it should. I be. can see it. He's fuzzy, he's fuzzy enough to be Robin Williams. Trey, I feel unfortunate that we missed the nipple torture sequence. So talk about nipple torture. What? <laughs> I'm trying to throw you segues that you cannot recover Thank from. You. That's right. He's under it. He's under it. He lost it. He dropped it uh well well about nipple torture now you're talking about from a movie perspective or you, my personal <laughs> no, life your personal experience how do you feel about nipple suspension i uh it, boy if you don't do it right you know watch out don't go to 50 on your first night that's what I, that's that's clearly the lesson or 11 or 11 even that's that's not a good idea no, anyway I, speaking uh, of this guy looking like Robin Williams, I, I love the look at this when she leaves they're both like and back to the knees watch ready one two three and down. Back to the, <laughs> i'm good i got it back to the conspiracy so yeah, Christopher Guest is great, and uh, you know, it, I often myself forget. I I sort of just think because it's his kind of movie that that Christopher Guest directed Spinal Tap, which he did not do. He appeared in Spinal Tap, and Rob Reiner, our current director here of this movie, directed Spinal Tap. Um, it was in fact his first movie, his first real feature, and uh, he also then his then he also did the Sure Thing, which is a again I've I've said that in some other commentary, but I highly recommend the Sure the Sure Thing with uh, young young John Cusack. I'm sorry to asterisk here, but this crane move is insane. It's, other side yeah. of the bridge, other side of the bridge, under the bridge, up, over the bridge, looking down, and then they hold. Yeah, with with horses and and, a, and chickens, were, three dozen extras going s- around. They were on the other side of that freaking bridge. <laughs> That's a hell of a crane. At the beginning of the shot. It's like, Jesus. That's Rob Reiner going, I can have a crane in this movie? Let's go. Let's Wait, rock. We, Before we David Fincher had, had soft homage. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's almost, a, that's almost a shot that you shouldn't be able to do in real life, and yet somehow <laughs> they managed to do it. Now, I don't know if I would put The Princess Bride in uh, any of my top list of movies, but I would definitely put Rob Reiner in my top five directors. Well, A Few Good Men. You have a Yeah, A Few giant, Good Men, American... You have a, you have a giant I Want to Love You very seriously thing for Aaron Sorkin. Of course. And it, so both American President and A Few Good Men put together is a pretty remarkable combination. I think they're both fantastic movies. Stand By Me, which we've already talked about. It's funny. When I was, once again, junior high, Princess Bride, repeatedly, I always thought, <laughs> later when I saw uh, Peter Jackson in director's commentary, uh, like bonus features, I always thought Oh, it's the guy from Princess Bride in this sequence. Like I thought that guy was was, <laughs> was, Peter, was Jackson. Peter Jackson, and he kind of looks like Peter Jackson in his skinnier face. But he let himself go. But, re- but really, no, not even kind of. It's the hair. The only the only resemblance the is the hair, yeah. and and the facial the facial hair as well. Yeah. That mustache. I also had this weird preconception. This was probably. Honestly, probably a good ten years before I got really drunk for the first time. That you could, you could kind of finish off some sort of a drunken stupor with just dicking your head in like <laughs> boiling water and cold water until it. Was I believe I believe yeah. you mean dunking your head. Yeah, just so we're clear. <laughs> no, no, he did say I mean, dicking. I mean dicking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not, but it's not just this movie. I mean, you see that in uh, they did that Back, Back to, the to the Future, Future and they've yeah. they've done it in that's one of those. That's one of those. It's a movie trope. Yeah, movie trope. Where was it in Back to the Future? Uh, the and third one. Doc, Doc Brown, they try and wake three. him up. He, 
Oh, he, well, he goes and, and well, hurls himself him, in the horse trough. They put him in the horse trough, yeah. yeah. Well, he puts they, himself they, in the they, horse they, trough. Well, it, it doesn't, I've, I've he seen has it. some sort of a bizarre concoction, yeah. and he wakes up, goes to the horse trough, and, and then falls asleep. It's the wake-up juice, right. yeah. He's, 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 it's actually because it's burning his throat, and right. he's trying it's to quench Do you have a back door in this place? Yeah, it's in the back. It's in the back. But the issue is, I mean, you can you can at least bring someone around, but they're not going to be undrunk by this process. Right. They're just You might make them conscious. Right. Ten years ago, self, thanks you for that knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> the same with well, the I same know, with no. uh, like the same with coffee. People are like, yeah, yeah. drink some coffee and sober up. No, they just keep you awake you'll just to be, be drunk. More awake. Yeah, you're wide awake, drunk at that point. It'd be a really wired drunk. People yeah. seem to have figured that out though, because now they're drinking vodka and Red Bull because they seem to have realized <laughs> that they can get the best of both worlds. I'll just I have get, it. Right I guess we've talked about everyone else. So you know, maybe not everyone else, but we've gotten to most of them. Mandy Patinkin. Who is just, We've talked about him too. Like, you're not, but who's really he's just who's, retardedly good in this role. He's just so freaking good, and it's bizarre because when I saw this movie, and then I think I saw a subsequent movie where he had another Spanish accent. There will be uh, blood tonight. You, you hear him talk, and he's that's not even a princess bride line. That's yeah. great. One hundred percent an American mm-hmm. English accent. It's just like. Oh, wow. So that was the whole thing you were doing. I was yeah. surprised that uh, Carrie Elwes was not British. He's not British at all. Because the, the, no, the, yeah. the, two, the two movies I'd seen him in, Princess Bride and Men in Tights, I was yeah, like, yeah. they just hired well, some British what guy. What else would he be? Yeah, exactly. Well, well See, Manny Patinkin's background, so of course, is he's what you're saying is you're prejudiced against accents. Yeah. I'm not prejudiced like, against accents. I think British accents are awesome. <laughs> Manny Patinkin's I'm prejudiced for is, accents, sir. It's go. affirmative you're, action. You're pro-accent. <laughs> yeah, he's pro-accent. Uh, Manny Patinkin's background is as a Broadway musical singer. I mean, that's that's what he's that's what he does. And then he's a singer. I don't know. That. Oh yeah, he's in Pirates of Penzance. He's in Sunday in the Park I'm, with George. Uh, you know, Pirates a, of Penzance. As soon as you said yeah. that, I'm like, now I buy he's a, it. He's a yes. he's a Tony winning uh, Broadway musical uh, I'm, star. I'm surprised how many who then sort of said, how oh, many I'll, I'll, manly I'll men acting on you know on TV movie you thing. Know. You know. Are, I'm trying to recall. Is there a play that makes reference to Pirates of Penzance that's not Pirates of Penzance? Because I, I, uh, I know that's I name. A, there's a West Wing episode that makes it well, pretty heavy. No, they referenced it on The Simpsons. They're all about duty. I, I saw a play where they were talking about, I want to sing and dance like the Pirates of Penzance, and I'd never seen Pirates of Penzance. But my pants. What the oh. hell is that from? Pirates of Penzance is one of those major, major, yeah. often referenced things. So yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure there are references Pretty in, much the, on theater all the, over the place. Is the start point of musical comedy theater really Western yeah. style musical comedy theater? That and Real Genius. Yeah, I was confused it with the Pirates of Pinniped from SeaWorld. <laughs> If anyone ever saw that which show is, with the sea lions, which is a joke about that. Yeah. You see, it's a play on the Pirates of Penzance. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. I've always known the word pinniped from that, though. Well, I was like, yeah, mm, that's good. scientific classification. It's bizarre the mm. things that your personal etymolo- etymology uh, lives yeah. to. Yeah. I, I try to share those stories as much as possible. <laughs> it's funny what sticks on you as a kid. There's just <laughs> yeah. the most random, random weird stuff I, will I stick, did, I, I I stick to your brain. I did a show we've, been, the, uh, we've been drinking like rum and stuff, I did by the way. You guys were having a lot of trouble speaking. I that's performed why. in a puppet show at the National Zoo in the summer of 1977, and that's why I can still remember to this day that the panda is crepuscular. <laughs> um, so there you go. Zoo Trey? Yes. Trey Stokes? No, it really is crepuscular. What Get is off my back. I'm sorry. As Michael just made reference to, and now I am willing Not to embrace. 50. Not to 50. We're all just a fair bit uh, inebriated. What the hell is crepuscular? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, comes out at night. Oh, it's Active cool. at night. So Isn't that I, nocturnal? Yeah. It's also crepuscular. Oh, all right. Wait, so is, is, is crepuscular a subset of nocturnal? Uh, I couldn't go into that much detail <laughs> on it uh, with you right now. All right, well, you guys quote this movie, you and I'll be over Wikipedia here on Wikipedia. And you get yeah. back to me. 
And 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 yeah, feel free to break my heart that uh, what I think I know is not true because it would be the first time. <laughs> what I've what I've known for the last twenty years. <laughs> Everything I've known is wrong. I, I love this line, and uh, Andre the Giant has this whole thing, and it's bizarre because I I no longer, although I grew up with this movie, as we've mentioned, before, established. Jason Siegel. <laughs> yes, we've covered that bit. Jason Siegel from How I Met Your Mother and Forgetting Sarah Marshall and a number of other Jed Apatow movies has the the amazing monopoly on Fezzik. For me, where really? it's like he has this insane Andre the Giant impression that sounds so much like Andre the Giant that you, the way that Kevin Pollack monopolized Kev, like James Kirk and Christopher Walken, where it's like, oh yeah, or Dana Carvey with the original uh, George Bush, where it's like, oh yeah, that's what they sounded like. <laughs> I have the same thing with Jason Siegel's version of Andre the Giant, where he's like, everybody blues. <laughs> where I no longer associate that line with this movie, but I associate it with the iterations thereof. That's a nice sword. Uh, a very nice sword. Crepuscular. Very nice shot for it. Just, just here's your, here's your uh, your down in front learning for today. <laughs> Hurt me. Um, no, no, person. you're very close. Okay. You're very close. Um, nocturnal and crepuscular are different because uh, crepuscular animals ca- are mainly active during um, twilight, dusk, and dawn, as okay, opposed to go. nighttime. As opposed to full night. And, uh, yeah. the, and or, or they'll come out uh, on you know a bright full moon. Okay. So these are golden hour animals. So it's, yes. yes, it's more like magic no- hour. It's more like it means it's the same as nocturnal in that not active in the day. Yeah, but then there's yeah. shade. So it's so it's and more specific than nocturnal. Exactly. So they, it, yeah. it, in fact, the uh, the article even says a lot of animals that are casually described as nocturnal are actually, actually crepuscular. crepuscular. Yeah. So there you go. It was just it was the answer to a trivia question of a puppet show that I performed. I always thought Zoo. that was very funny. Trey, the way he I, just rams he just into the finds the knot. <laughs> Trey, I'm desperately afraid that one time you're going to be doing a down in front commentary and you're going to have a Diet Pepsi and a White Russian and come across the meaning of life. And we're all going to be like, and yeah, like, sure. Just like, and later on, like, it'll be on the tape, man. Did I ever mention there. that when I was 17, a guy told me the meaning of life? Did I not mention that? Oh, it goes like this. It's very simple. So, And then, of course, as would always happen, we'll lose the file. Now, yeah. let's go ahead and do another, another classic down in front around. Brian, when the first time you heard this, did you have, a, did you have this weird moment where you're like, Oh my god, they killed the lead character for real. <laughs> Did you ever because when I was a kid, I totally bought that. No, I well, I don't remember that for this movie in particular. In fact, I don't remember my memory of first seeing this at all. I'm sure it was when I was a kid sometime, but I do have that very specific memory for another classic that we've mentioned several times, Howard the Duck. <laughs> I remember when Howard died. We gotta the, just do that. Movie. Very much on a we par will, with this will. movie. Somewhere I, in this club, Leah Thompson is having sex hmm. with a duck. I was <laughs> I was actually taken in at you know at a fully grown age when I saw this movie by the the fake flash forward to her having already married the count, and then suddenly it's a dream, and he goes, "the the wedding was still three weeks off." I was like, "Oh man, oh what a, what a psych. me, what a psych!" What a I was so psych. stoked that the ending was going to be sad. Yeah, <laughs> but Michael, the, I mean, did you ever have a moment where you were like? They really killed killed the the lead character. I don't I don't recall ever having that moment. I think I was I think I was more like the grandpa. I was like, will you shut up and let him finish? Like, yeah. come on. Well, of course, the grandpa. Himself, you know, it's a fairy tale. Come on, and, and it's Trey. like Sleeping Beauty or whatever. Grandpa and himself Trey. almost immediately says he's not dead. By the way, I mean that's the next line is you know he's not actually dead. I want you to know that Wesley's not dead. Um, which which leads into what I, one of my favorite exchanges in the movie is when Peter Falk then goes he goes well but who, who kills Count Rugen and and Peter Falk goes no one kills Count Rugen which you go it makes you go that makes you go wait what you know and of course because what they have in mind for Count Rugen is so much better than killing him and so much more fun all right Brian, Yay. Brian we've got Billy Crystal on the screen Yay. he's yeah. gonna say about twenty five one liners and then leave Oy. forever yeah is it. 
I mean, in, leave, the, in the beginning, you leave said, an indelible mark on movie history. You in the mean. beginning, you are the brute squad. We we all had these one-liners <laughs> oh. from Princess Bride, and yet yours had related to this character, mm-hmm. the, the the magician, the old count's magician Max, played by this Billy was, Crystal. Why? Well, part of it is Max because Max Wazowski. Anyway, <laughs> Wazowski. Yeah. I'm with Mike you, Michael. Wazowski. <laughs> Uh, part of it is because that's the character I played when we did this in college. Ah, yeah. the circle so, is complete. It's and all I, falling wait into a place. Second. You follow Billy Crystal? Huh? Give us a line reading. Give us a... How did you, uh, how did you oh, approach this think. character? Give us a I, line reading. We, oh, just, we just did the movie, so we did. <laughs> I just did a, a Billy Crystal You just did a Billy Crystal impression. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fair enough. But, I mean, what, what we did was... I, I My friend Amanda played my wife, uh, played Valerie in this, and we just walked around on our knees and... And just did the scene on your knees. Yeah. Are they supposed to be dwarves? It was just Is another that day in college for old Brian. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, well, it yeah, wasn't, it wasn't aeronautical college. So what the hell? <laughs> At that point, it was. <laughs> hey, you don't know what the ratio was like there, man. <laughs> well, no, never anything goes. But they had so many but, girls that Count Rugen had to be a girl. That's what he, I can't uh, figure out. Well, in the theater company, yes, we. Oh, nah, that, that, that was our main line of advertising for the theater company at that school. We, have girls. we, we actually have girls. have girls. We have real girls. No other club on this campus has girls. Chess Take club. that, Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> we have girls playing girls' roles. And also, Carol King. Carol Kane. Kane? Carol King wrote, uh, you know, Tapestry and uh, other, <laughs> other famous uh, I'm, very fami- I'm very familiar anthems. with their works, Trey. Shut up. Yes. No, Carol Kane. Yes, uh, Carol Kane. Not Kane's, really. Uh, Latka's wife from Taxi. She was kind of most known for at this point, but uh, had done uh, was had done a lot of movies. Done, you know, one of those wacky comedy actresses. Trey, this is a bizarre... I, I know that we're in the middle of The Princess Bride and we want to talk about William Goldman, but, I mean, how do you feel about this old age makeup? Because, frankly, I... Th- I think this works 100%. It's good. It's a really good old makeup. Oh, yeah, this makeup. is a good makeup. I don't know who did you, it. We'll have to look at the credits. I don't know I, who did I, it. I guess this is a, like a hypothetical slash theory question, but do you know why it works? Well, let's see. I haven't looked at... This is also, by the way, I'm looking at a spectacularly large television, so we're getting a very good look at it, too, which is very nice. Thank you, Shrey. Although yeah. it's not Blu-ray. We might see the it's scenes of Blu-ray. Blu-ray. Yeah, if we see it in Blu-ray, God knows what we'd be seeing. But, um, I, think, I think part of the success might be that they kind of... They they don't get too close to his eyes. Yeah, you know you're looking right at his eyes, so you would notice the seam. But they 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 stay away from it, which gives him a, kind of a sunken look, which happens to work yeah. for this. Surely character. the eyebrows are covering a multitude of sins. Yeah. You know that that helps. Um, Carol Kane, Carol Kane, Carol Kane. They've definitely done a job on because uh, she she's actually a very attractive woman, or it was at this point. I mean, I don't know what she looks like nowadays, but uh, you know she's, she's actually very cute. Yeah, now she just looks like this. But this, yeah, they did a hell of a job on her here. She looks quite quite scary. You say eyebrows. Does eyebrows is that generally a thing where you can go to first to kind of cover the problems? Of well, makeup? I'm just I'm just assuming, but you know, you the the makeup has to join around I'm the eyes. That, yeah, I'm not listening. Around the the, yeah, the makeup has to join the eyes somewhere, and certainly if you're going to add big bushy eyebrows on top, you have a, an opportunity there to hide the join up top. Um, underneath is harder because, of course, that's you know you can. It's funny because I think of the trouble. the. the I sort think it's well painted and well lit. I mean, it's yeah. it's just all around. It's well, well and it's executed. not it's not hugely thick either. I mean, yeah. this is not you know it's not like Billy Crystal's unrecognizable. There, they've given him some jowls and, um, the and, nose. A, big, and a big nose. Yeah. Well, they did do the nose, but uh, you know that's that's there's there's well, know, I, a, not I, a lot of big thick stuff going on. I think of the quintessential insane old age makeup in in cinema history as Yoda. Who didn't have extreme eyebrows? So I, I'm, well, I'm kind of curious. He also didn't have a, a face. Yoda's not a makeup. 
He's well, not okay, a makeup okay. job. Yoda's okay. a puppet. But I'm there was su- no eyes that they had to glue onto. I'm curious. Do you, do you have any insight as to why eyebrows sort of let you cover the the remainder of the the eye raccoon? I'm not problems? talking about the raccoon. No, no, I'm talking no. about there's, you know, you're Just not, seams you're, you're not going to put latex on a person's eyes. The eyes will be the person's eyes. Well, somewhere the latex has to start. So the easy answer is to put it at the eyebrow line because you're going to put eyebrows on top of the, the joint at that point. You know, you have a way to hide it. Under the eyes is, is more difficult. Um, there's, there's real experienced makeup artists who do that kind of work, which I'm not one of, but um, I, you know, I've seen it done and I know the basics, but I've never This kind of scene is really, and... you got to respect, sorry, but you got to respect mm. Carrie was for a scene like yeah, that. Yeah, you know that. he guys, cracked up. And, and also the fact that he just, you know, he has to just lay there and let them thrash him back and yeah, forth. Yeah, but, but you know when he was just leaning up against Mandy yeah. Patinkin, there were, yeah. there were like at least four shots where he just cracked how many, up. Yeah, how many blown And I love the, the in between edit moment where he swallowed a fist sized hunk of chocolate mm. and magic. <laughs> yeah. And somehow swallowed it. I have to say that uh, there's the quotable line here, which, again, in the great scheme of things, is not necessarily so quotable. But I find use for it in my daily life. And the people who are the right kind of people recognize it as the quote, um, which, of course, is the true purpose of quotes. Um, <laughs> is, is uh, you know, because you want to find out who your friends right, are right, right. and which ones are douchebags, right? So if you don't know the Princess Bride quote, you know, and you'll test your friends. You'll start with a really hard one. And, you know, oh, she's good. You know, if someone mm. picks up on that. But uh, anytime and, and you'll. If you look for it, like I do, because I'm an idiot, um, you, you'll, you'll find an excuse to, to use, well, why didn't you list that amongst our assets as, <laughs> as, a, as an opportunity? There's plenty of opportunities in life to say that line. Um, well, I got a, I got a six-pack in my car. Well, why didn't why you, you list, list that amongst Yeah, whatever. Just, you'll find the opportunity. If you look, you'll find is my point. <laughs> Michael, do you ever have that as, as the preeminent screenwriter? And and story conceptualist of down in front. Do you ever have we that moment where you go confabulist? I like that much better. <laughs> Do you ever have that? There moment you go. Where you're Draft thinking, two, right there. Yeah. Where you're thinking this is a line that will probably be one of the lines from the movie. I should make it as thematically relevant as anything can be, and give it something that. Wait, what do you can, mean? Well, in, in terms <laughs> when of, you're writing it, when you're I'm writing a screenplay, all the lines are lines from the yeah, movie. Yeah, each one is well, a no, polished no, gem. Are you saying? Do you know in advance this is going to be so quotable? This is going to be the one that people are going to be saying to each other twenty years later on the internet. Trey's making a joke, and yet, yeah, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, do you ever go into a, a state of mind where you're like, this has to be something that can be so universally applicable that I can use it in anything, and then therefore hope that people in the future will. Oh no no! Like doing that on purpose? No. Like like going into it and and coming to a point and saying this is a line that I'm going to make quotable. No. More often than not, what'll happen is I'll be writing along and wh- when it's when it's going really well, the characters kind of take on a life of their own, right? And they and they literally start saying things you did not expect that they would say. So my favorite part is when a character says something that makes me laugh because I had no idea that it was coming. And then I'm like, that's a good line. I'm keeping that. No matter what happens, I'm going to find a way to keep that line. Um, and, and that's, that's the way it happens. Like, I think I, I, I haven't gotten any of them produced yet, so I don't know if it's, if it's true, but my feeling is that when you see them, you're like, that's one of them, you know, you, you hope at least, uh, or, or otherwise it's just funny to me and like in all the test screenings, it's like no one's laughing at that line. Well, it, as, as, often, as often said, I was just reading David Mamet's book again the other day and, and he said, you know, that it's the old, it's some people use the phrase, kill your, kill your darlings or kill your babies. Yeah, yeah kill your babies. And, and it's, he says that, and I've, I've, I've encountered this a couple of times, that the thing that I think is the funniest joke in something 
turns out to be the thing that I probably should have just cut. There, there, yeah. It definitely goes – it can be either way where he's yeah. like, oh, people are going to love this and nothing happens. Or it's like your your most hated line in something that this is, is very well known is what everybody comes with. Yeah. And this, of course, is Peter Cook. Oh, God. I hate when that happens. I hate when I hate a yeah, line but oh I can't get rid of it yeah. and everyone else loves it. Um, but um, that's it. I have I have had occasions where I where I write something and it makes me laugh and I'm like, oh god, I love that, but it's totally going. Like right. it's yeah, not yeah. going to. It's, it's not, not going, going to survive. Can't keep yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> or you'll, now, you'll you'll keep it for draft after draft, exactly. but then eventually you'll have to ag- admit that it yeah. really needs it's just, to go. It has no place <laughs> anymore. Now there's two ways this can go. William Goldman Goldman being a name that you can go. That guy. Either is a insanely talented writer of of all things structure, story, dialogue, or he's just a guy. He's just a person that happened to know what people hone in on. Do you think, because of the nature of this movie as a movie that is quoted, has been quoted for the last twenty now two years? <laughs> do you think it's one of those things where he was writing lines where he's like, "That is so perfect. I'm going to write that." Or do you think? He do you think he was stum- aware of his own genius? Exactly. Is what do you're you saying? Think, do you think he stumbled upon all these? Uh, there's like 15 not lines in this movie yeah. that people can quote, which with with no context, with no reference, yeah. that people go, yeah, that movie fucking rules. As I re- as I recall from from what he's what I've read that he's written about the process of writing the book and then making the movie, um, he di- he did sort of, and the reason that he was so protective of it for all these years and, until the right people came along and said, no, we'd like to make this now. Um, he 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 spoke of it kind of like Tolkien always spoke about Lord of the Rings, where he said I, it's almost as if I didn't write this. It's almost as if like some you know some force came and just used me as its conduit to get this story on a on a piece of paper. Um, so you know, he, he doesn't he does sometimes he'll he'll wasn't doesn't necessarily acknowledge like yeah I really worked hard on that script. He was like no this this is just this thing that just came out of me and has always been the most sometimes per- just happens. the perfect effortless thing that just you know the one time in my life when it wasn't like a struggle to get something written on the page. I, I have to say yeah, the uh, the a- combination of Andre the jo- Giant's voice plus the uh, the bad puppet flailing around <laughs> in the flames yeah. that's always made me laugh and I don't so think it's supposed good. to be as funny as it is. The first time I saw this movie I don't think I understood a what single line that Andre the Giant. Said. I, don't think, I don't think I don't think arms off. I don't think I got a single thing. Oh, that, that oh, you mean said. that mm-hmm. key? That could totally have been Robin Williams just that's then. That's sort of a bizarre yeah. thing to step really. on because I, to be to be honest, I don't think I think you're right. I don't think I ever understood yeah. anything. It you took were like saying. three or four viewings to but go. It, oh, it I did. get that joke now that he said what he said. I, I honestly think, and there's probably maybe three dozen lines that Andre the Giant has in the whole movie. He's like he's not a main character. I mean, I didn't. I I promise you. The only one I got was. Anybody want a peanut? And I promise like, you, I, I didn't know what the hell that was the first time I saw the movie. I didn't know what that what that phrase was. Um, now we we should point out again, just for your you know further viewing. He's already he's already left the movie and he's gone. Um, the the as he's billed the impressive clergyman um, is literally his name in the credits. But that was Peter Cook. And if you don't know who Peter Cook was, Peter Cook is one of the greats of British comedy. He, I'm to be time. He yeah he he really he he sort of predated Monty Python. A lot of the Monty Python guys will tell you Peter Cook is the greatest guy in British comedy. And uh, he and Dudley Moore had a, had a, an act that they would do for years that was great. And the, and the Python guys were all involved. Um, but it was so great. To, I've been a Peter Cook fan for, for decades. And it was so great to go, that's Peter Cook there. And, it's, and he's been gone for quite a while, too. So it's one of the last things he did, really. Really but, good uh, on guard from yeah. uh, Christopher Guest there too. Like you said yeah. you, earlier, you can tell they did the training. Yeah, they and they did their they did their homework. And and uh, again, 
this be a real? <laughs> I love that. Well, the, what's so great about this is a real castle. Yeah. Again, what's so like, great about the f- this whole finale is that well, not a real castle. They've, oh. Yeah, they, they've set it up so that you know you know kind of what's going to happen, and everything happens in a satisfying way. But not everything happens in the cliche way that you think it is. Wesley does not have a final showdown with the bad guy. He basically talks him into chickening out. There's no final fight with Wesley. Um, the only guy who gets a final fight is uh, is uh, Count Rugen and uh, Inigo Montoya. And Inigo, and that's for, you, so you get that you don't feel cheated that you didn't get to see somebody have a final fight. Right, but, but that's there. But also that's that's because ultimately, even though even though Wesley is the hero, ultimately this other guy is the villain of Inigo's story. <laughs> yeah, he just comes up, does yeah. it, and walks away. Yeah, and, like, the, here, and here you go. And our, right. our main bad guy, as as uh, you know, it, it's already been spoiled for us that the bad guy isn't going to die. Which seems like it's a strange thing, but then we are still satisfied by the ending because we realize that it's even better than killing him. What happens to him? And this whole this great concept of to the pain, where basically Wesley just Wesley just talks the guy into into giving up, which is you know it's really fun to watch. Now, all four of us here at the table have written screenplays. Some of us more than others, and there's a <laughs> true there's a moment where. You realize the genius of the Princess Bride, and and when you, when you distill <laughs> with it with every screenplay, when you, well, sure, on, I get about fifty pages in, I'm like, God, Princess Bride is a good <laughs> movie. Yeah. Why was I'm that gonna so watch good? Princess Bride? Close well, the well, I, well, I'm working yeah. on my cop thriller. It's like, <laughs> okay, I can't even touch an eagle. Go on, anyway. finish your thought. Finish your thought. Dorkman's right because then <laughs> you realize the Princess Bride is like God. Yeah. You know, Goldman's wrote a lot of books, but frankly, he's actually good at this. But there's a moment where you realize the, the, the hero, uh, uh, you know, obviously there's this, I, I, hesit- I, I hesitate to say underwritten, but there's a hero of the Princess Bride that doesn't matter. You don't care so much about the man in black and the woman. It's more about all the tertiary characters. But there's a, real, there's a moment you realize, holy shit, the, the villain he wrote in the first act becomes this person that everyone's rooting for. And <laughs> it's hard to ascribe a value to the, the character where you're like, I wrote this guy as the guy that's going to dispatch the person that we're supposed to be following in the first act. And over the course of the movie, he's become this person that we all root for. And the value of that, the, 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 and, and we talk about this um, as if it didn't exist on the IMDb trivia page to begin with. <laughs> but mm-hmm. there's this whole thing where Inigo Montoya, this, this Spanish character, Mandy Patinkin, is played by this, you know, he, he's this guy that has had this whole history that they wrote into like two sentences in the beginning of the first act. Like, He's on, the, he's on the thing, sword fight, blah, 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 blah. And that's the whole thing, blah, 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 blah. It goes on. But he has this whole backstory, and in the IMDb trivia, as it will be, you know, wanted to tell you, but if you've, if you've read the book, you know, the whole sword fight is literally the exact same parry thrust, parry thrust injury that took place in the original, way before the story even took place, fight between Inigo and the man with six fingers. Like, it's the exact same shoulder, shoulder, you know, cheek cheek thing that happened between him and the other guy, where it's like all of a sudden this person that when I first started watching this movie, I realized that's the bad guy, and he's he's fun to watch. He's funny. A character actor is playing him well, but he's the bad guy. That guy, it becomes this person that by the third act is this insane, weird antagonist protagonist <laughs> that I totally feel for, and you know, partially because of Mandy Patinkin's genius as a crazy actor. Partially because the writing has put him in this position where 
we so much care for this villain that against the other villain, he is this insane antagonist. Well, he's he's kind of I I don't think of good by this point. I don't think I'd noticed before that that he's just parrying into himself. Yeah, he's actually he's not he's not blocking the wounds. He's only preventing himself from being killed. Right. Um. But I I I have to say I I but for the record the exact same injuries right, as right, right. was given no, to no, by Cam no, Rugen in the, in the no, previous no, story No, no, it's not. No, no, no. The IMDb the, is saying what he's about he, to do what to... What he's about to do to Rugen is exactly what yeah. he's... He got the two for, on his face when he was a kid. He just got two in the shoulders, and he's about to do the same to Rugen and then stab him through the heart as a finale. So... So that whole thing was wrong, what you just said. Yeah, well, you're um, on the right track, but it's not like... But, um, the, the, but, but as to the second part, I think... I think we we talked about it. We, there we go. Yeah, there Another it is. And now, yeah. now we're even. Now you know he's going to give him the cheeks next. And I I think I think we find out pretty quickly that he's not he's he's a good guy who he's fell in with in a, a bad, bad situation. Crowd. Yeah, he's, he's he's a mercenary. Um, we get the we get the, the save the cat moment like we were talking about because because yeah. as soon as he's fighting Wesley, it's like okay, you're not actually the yeah. bad guy. Him him letting we're Wesley up and not just killing him outright is the, uh, is, the, is the save the cat moment. I will take advantage of all the much more intelligent points that you just make and say that they're part of my original thesis, which is that. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> well, yes, I mean, it's great screenwriting. That the, this, original, you know, the original villain becomes yeah. this... Well, the villain's I, really Vizzini. Well, there's all yeah. kinds of more. There's yeah. all kinds of levels of villains. Vizzini was vanquished. He was a villain, and he was killed. You know, he was that's vanquished what, immediately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pretty, pretty much right at yeah. the outset of he, the movie. He got to have a great scene, but then he was vanquished. You know, right. the, Count Rugen gets vanquished. He gets killed. You know, the 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 prince doesn't get killed, but he's still defeated. That's what I, I mean. And I the think other two are converted to the side of good. So you know, that's they're, they're all defeated one way or the other. I mean, in the good writing, it's it's the uh, you know reverses as as yes. the the term tends to go. It's like you think it's going to go one way and it goes another, and it's constantly doing that. Oh, Vizini's our our bad guy. Nope, it's half an hour in and he's out. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, uh, Inigo's yeah. the bad guy. No, he's no, actually kind of cool. actually pretty good. <laughs> he's one of the good guys. You know, the, and the giant is one of the good guys now. It's like, well, wait a minute, who's the bad guy? Well, good. And if, yeah. if you view it in the sense of the story is just having a character set up, and then there's a whole bunch of obstacles that they have to overcome. Then you can. Then you don't even have to look at it in the frame of of good guys and bad guys. You just here's here's Vizzini, here's Inigo, here's uh, the giant. There's just obstacles for him to overcome, and he overcomes each of them in different yeah. ways. And it it comes back to the again framing this by saying it's a fairy tale, and by not really paying that much attention to how Buttercup and Wesley fell in love or any of that stuff, because none of that matters. It's like we know that story. They're the, they're the perfect couple. They're going to fall in love. How are they not going to end up together? Right. It's like there's no there's no surprise to be had right. unless they're going to make this be a weird downer fairy tale where they don't <laughs> end up together or one of them actually dies. It's like no matter what happens, you know they're going to end up together. That's a given because it's a fairy tale. So the so the interesting parts of the story are everybody else and how they resolve and what happens with their characters. That and what you were talking about with Fazzini being out in the first half hour is goes back to that point we've also made in the past where a good story. You should have no idea where a good story is going at about the halfway point. A story yeah. should, if you have a premise, there should be a logical, okay, well, if you, if you do that, then you, you would probably go there. That makes sense. That would be logical. And if a storyteller really does their work and really puts the time in, you'll get to that point, hopefully in like the halfway point, or definitely by the end of the second act, where hopefully at, by that point, as the audience member, you're like, okay, they've already gone everywhere where I think they could go, and I have no <laughs> idea what's going to happen next. And yet next. they're going to go somewhere else. Yeah, right. they, they have, they're, they're ahead of me. They're smarter than me at this point. The filmmakers are smarter than me, which is what you want to see, which is, which is why this scene is so great and such a brilliant idea is – 
normally, and it can work just fine, normally you want to have these two characters are going to have their knockdown dragout fight, and it's going to be the most awesomest sword fight ever. Um, instead, what they do is he basically talks this guy into chickening out of and quitting the fight before they even have one and then gets to put the last little comeuppance on it is once he's given up and they tie him up then he finds out that he that he could have killed Wesley because Wesley was was yeah, unable to he's fight just bluffing he the just time. he just basically just talked him into chickening out and that's even you know that's almost worse than just being beaten in a fight yeah well, I know we've made that point before as well, where when you truly defeat a villain in the most satisfying way, you not only beat them, but you break their spine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You show them that... Uh, you you know, show them that everything they fought for and believed is, is it's wrong. The, it's and, the Joss Whedon, you know, yeah. the operative uh, concept. is like, we're not going to kill him. We're going to make him go, oh, man, did I fuck that up? You oh, know, man, <laughs> was that a waste of time? <laughs> that's, that's how we're going to defeat that guy. So... Now, there's, here's a scene here, and if you look closely, you can see it. This is another uh, behind-the-scenes story that I read from Rob Reiner, who, um, when they actually ride out of the courtyard, there's a shot from this high angle when they ride out of the courtyard. That's not actually Andre the Giant on the horse. You'll see it's a much smaller person wearing an Andre the Giant sort of suit, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, which, which they you can it's, buy. It's in. like the headless horseman type suits. Yeah. Like the arms are way too low yeah, on the exactly. side. He's wearing the costume, but it's clearly not a, the same size guy as. And, and that's because no horse could carry Andre the Giant because why? He's a giant. So, and nor could, you know, just neither could he actually lift Robin Wright Penn here. You know, he's like they have this sort of stage this and, and make it possible to look like. It. But anyway, this this quick cut with. They ride out. Um, they uh, th- that's not Andre the Giant, but they did have to get a shot. Whether it's going to be in this sequence or not, they had to get a shot of Andre the Giant on a horse, just not riding away. So they rigged up this whole wire rig for Andre the Giant to be suspended over a horse to make it look like he was on a horse, but the horse didn't actually have to hold all of Andre the Giant's weight. And Rob Reiner told a great story in an interview about being called over to the soundstage to to watch them. Yeah, that, that ain't no Andre the Giant there on that horse there, right? And I'm sorry. He's got a wig on, but that's it. But um, Rob Reiner tells a story about being called over to, to, have the, to, to inspect the rig that is suspending Andre the Giant over a horse to see if it'll work for his shot. And he walks into a soundstage, and there's Andre the Giant, who's drunk as a skunk, Swinging in midair, you know, there's a floating giant waving at me. Says Rob Reiner, Rob Reiner, what what has my life become? This is what my <laughs> life, it's like. It's my job to inspect the floating drunken giant right now. That's my job today. And I've had that moment, and I think maybe all of us have had that yeah. moment. You know, being in a movie, and you kind of go, you just sort of stop what? and look what you're doing at that moment, and how bizarre it is, and how most people probably would would not have that experience as part of their work day. Now, part of what we're going to get into in the aftermath, we're like one second away from the end of the movie, but we're going to get into our whole opinions of the thing like we always do. But this is the first movie in the history of the 30 North down in front commentaries that, due to, frankly, user error, there has been no subtitles on this movie. Usually there are <laughs> subtitles. That's and a good yet, point. Yeah. The, like we needed them. No, we tried, we tried to do subtitles and we couldn't figure we it couldn't out. We couldn't get the button to push right. Bride, and, and it makes is, no difference at all and, for this and, movie. And truly, this is the first movie in all of the movies you've ever heard on downinfront.net that have had no subtitles for the panelist audience. We, we got about halfway through Monsters, Inc. before we realized it, too. But, okay, Monsters, Inc. and The mm-hmm. Princess Bride have something in common, which is that we made it some <laughs> fraction of the way through the entire film-watching experience before we realized... We don't know what they're saying. Yeah. Or before we realized that we didn't have subtitles because we did know what they were saying. And it's bizarre because many you know, many of the people that listen to Down in Front will be aspiring screenwriters or filmmakers of some storytellers in any story- whatever storytellers capacity. In, in, in some capacity that will that will appreciate the nature of a movie 
script, screenplay, story that has absolutely nothing to do with the words. This movie, and now we're out of the credits, so great, we're coming up on the, uh, you know, the fade out of Down in Front. We're coming up on this moment where it's like, oh my god, we made it through an entire, we're coming up on one minute, one hour and 33 minutes of movie with no words at all. And of course, there's something to be said about the movie that we knew, but still... There's a story that took place that had nothing to do with the words. And and for me personally, is, as a down-in-front experience-er, <laughs> the, the one that surprised me the most was Watchmen, where we watched that four-hour, 25,000-minute movie, where it's like, holy shit, I can't believe how much this movie carries without words. And even though we had the subtitles, in this movie we had literally none. And yet, I feel like I've just watched The Princess Bride as, you know, obviously you guys all watched The Princess Bride listening. You didn't even notice that the audio wasn't on? I never noticed that the audio wasn't on. You don't think the fact they're watching it every day for a year and a half (laughs) kind of. I was going to say, I mean, necessary. I think I think this, I think the point you're trying to make is a sense that we've talked about before with Jaws and other movies. In a sense, so even with the sound off, you can still be visually drawn in and absorbed by this movie. But this movie, and then also- the Princess Bride qualifies. Yeah, but and- you're also going to be missing half the good stuff because there right. are such great lines and character asides and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, Trey, go to the dick room. But by myself, <laughs> as a person who is. Sure. We I'll have a dick room. room. I'll grant you. Did we, we have, have a, dick a dick room? We have a whole dick room. It's an aside to the down in front warehouse where people... We listen to this movie in a beautiful gold-plated warehouse. <laughs> why was I not informed we had a dick front, room? Just imagine us in this beautiful, oh, Adrian Biddle. Adrian Biddle. paradise of down in front listenery. But, you know, sure. Yeah, there's also a dick room off to the side. It's it's plated in, in, in beautiful... Well, good to know. Plated in dicks. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Why anyway. didn't I know about this? Anyway. anyway. There goes the G rating for this show, yeah. by the way. <laughs> we haven't said fuck already Aside five from times. All this, we true. just watched, and now we're into the beautiful blue credits and scored by Mark It's Knopfler. like a storybook story. We had absolutely no subtitles, and this movie functions on every single conceivable level of cinematic endeavor. Like this well, movie except is... for sound design. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which we just had to assume was good. <laughs> Characters, story, and obviously screenplay all come from various artisans within the realm of filmmaking, and this movie stands unto all of their absolute uninvolvement in the experience we just had as a as an experience of perfect filmmaking quality. Like it's this perfect movie that stands beyond the realm of actual experience. It's just you remind yourself of the Princess Bride, and you think. Man, if I was good, I would do something like that, <laughs> yeah. maybe. And I would, and I would like to shit. die having made something like The Princess Bride. Holy I think shit. It's a fair that, thing. Man, that, you were masturbating a lot around this time in your <laughs> life, weren't you? <laughs> Just some good associations okay, Peter, there. Peter Montagna, <laughs> who I, I'm guessing is a British, probably almost likely a British, uh, British makeup artist, did their makeup because I'm not familiar with that name. But uh, there he is, Bob job. Anderson. Good job, Bob go. Anderson. There's your man, Bob Anderson. Teak Christie, <laughs> red-haired panelist. I love this High movie. Five. Brian William Fenderter, how do you feel about the Princess Bride? William Goldman and, frankly, Wallace Shawn's endeavors as a person. <laughs> and Sean, I don't Wallace think Shawn anybody second unit in Ireland, Ireland, so they probably so, did fall yeah. down the. Yeah. Oh wow. Felt somebody fell down a nice Irish hill. I don't think anybody in the world apparently loves this movie as much as you do. Yeah. Uh, Fig. Uh, I don't know. What is there to say? It's a classic. It's so. I'd like to, I mean, even, even Michael being, you know, as close to a naysayer as we have here, who just goes, I don't love it with all my heart. You know, that's, just, <laughs> yeah, that's, basically. Basically. Yeah. that's the most you could do. It's like, I, yeah. I would actually would like to hear from someone who like doesn't like The Princess Bride. Use our forums if you'd like to. You know, and why, what is there not to like about The Princess Bride? At least not to, like Michael, just to, I could, just to respect 
this is I get it, you know, and, and you don't have to love every movie. Maybe it's not totally your thing. Brian, but. what is there not to love about the Princess Bride? <laughs> I could I could see how if you're not on board with the hokiness, because obviously it's doing it intentionally, but I could see somebody not being on board. And occasionally there are there are pieces of me, parts of me, and depending on the mood, some sometimes I'm not on board with the hokiness and go, mm. All right, I know I know you I know you're doing it on purpose, but still, come on guys, <laughs> really? So I mean, I could see that. Otherwise, I don't know. I don't think they go too far with it, though. There are some movies where you're on board with the hokiness, but then they keep going like, but, but then like, I think I but think then this the straddles Billy, that line perfectly. Then and the Billy Crystal character spends too much time on screen, and you're yeah. like, okay, all right, all right, all right. like you're not as funny as you think you are. A little okay. bit much, a little bit much, kind of pushing it, bring it back, bring yeah. it back, bring it back. But Brian, then, still hmm. to one sentence, the Princess Bride go. <laughs> Damn, your experience as a person with the Princess Bride. Are you in approval? You just took your Katie Couric pills today or something. Yes. <laughs> what is this with these attack questions all of a sudden? I, I read papers. I, uh, <laughs> in what respect, Teague? In what respect? I can so be vice president. You aspire to be a famous and rich screenwriter. Does this movie make you feel depressed because you'll never be the Princess Bride guy? Or do you this think is you feel inspired? It it actually does both of me, which not many movies do. It's like it it does inspire me. Go, I because I see I, you can see the mechanics, you can see the pieces and how they work, and you could all you almost feel like yeah, I can I see the pieces and I can make, put those pieces together myself. And then the flip side of the, it, the flip side of the coin is wow, I would never put them together that well. But it's actually interesting, and that is one of those few examples that inspires both of those feelings in in me at least personally now act two han solo doesn't end up with the princess dork man how do you feel about the princess bride <laughs> now you're just evolving into non sequitur yeah <laughs> i'm confused anyway answer the question <laughs> exactly <laughs> how do you feel i was all right bride? until you brought that up yeah. and then how do you I'm feel like, about the he... goldman doctrine huh? yeah how could he how could he leave that out i mean they've totally got to get <laughs> how do you together feel about the goldman doctrine <laughs> yeah. that's a great question actually good quite question. good his uh, his books are are very good i would highly recommend yeah. i mean we have we've recommended yeah. them have, have we done forward have we now. done a commentary without recommending that you, <laughs> yeah, you exactly. buy william goldman's book although what's what's uh, interesting uh, is screenwriting level you're talking about yeah although what's yeah. what's interesting is is he writes because he writes in an older style you know the way they they wrote in like the 50s and stuff you read his scripts now and a lot of it is quote unquote wrong there's a lot yeah. of cut to and a lot of we see and a lot of Literally directing the camera and stuff like that and uh it's it's stuff you don't you're told not to do anymore um but uh you know it 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 comes through and i think i think goldman is a lot like um uh we mentioned i mean i mean we mentioned kind of jokingly but um a lot like Shakespeare and, and Mamet as well, which is if you read it on the page, it's like, I don't know about this, but when you see people perform it and they get it, you're like, oh, oh. totally, you know. No, now, I, I know see. that this is a weird hypothetical question, but... Oh, that'll be a rare one <laughs> today. <laughs> Where on earth could this be coming from? <laughs> Go ahead. Do it. Between myself and Brian and Trey, we all love this movie, and and you didn't count among the ranks. Do you, do you have any no. idea why? I I I, th- I think it's just the kind of thing where I mean I saw it a bunch of times when I was a kid. I've never I've never hated it, but it was just it was just the kind of thing where I'm like, yeah, that's funny, and then I kind of you know I I went and watched Ghostbusters again or something. I just didn't grab you. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, something. I mean, it didn't. I don't. I don't dislike it, and I'm. I'm never too surprised. There, there was a period where I was like, I'm tired of everyone always wanting to watch Princess Bride all the time. For God's sake! But um, I'm over that now. Uh, yeah, it's just. 
it's a it's a good movie. I understand. I can appreciate it, and I understand why people like it. It's just there's something about it that it's like between this and another movie. It depends on what the other movie is, but I'm not always going to go for the Princess Bride. Trey, Princess Bride. <laughs> you suck, Michael. You're an <laughs> idiot. And you're stupid, and everything you like is bad. Because we're on the internet. Yeah. Um, Hitler. <laughs> First, yeah, you know who else liked The Princess Bride? <laughs> you know who liked The Princess Bride? Hitler. Man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's um, like the third time we've Godwinned our show yeah, today. Really. But, but we're, see, anyway. we're, we're ironically Godwinging it. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the question? <laughs> <laughs> we're at the end of the – we're looking at the DVD oh, menu. Oh, we're well now. beyond. We're, it's a lovely For DVD God's menu. Sake, Brian was, was playing the, the game yeah. of some kind. Uh, find the Easter egg. Yeah. How do you yeah. feel about the Princess Bride? I, I, I'm, I'm sticking with – you know n- nothing happened in the last 90 minutes that made me go, you know what? I'm going to rethink my status on the Princess Bride. Um, it's, uh, I think it's an awesome film, and, and I, like I said, I, I don't – demand people enjoy it but uh, i think the movie's done its part to allow you to enjoy it and you should let that happen open your heart and let the princess bride just flow into it and and become part of you and become part of your life experience and and don't fight it and don't mock it and and just let it happen let you'll it flow. want to want the princess bride every day <laughs> yes let it flow because it's a miracle the princess bride mawage and it's what brings us together today and for my part, you know, actually, I've realized over yes, the Yes, T, tell us how you feel. Over the, <laughs> over, the, over the course of this commentary, I've realized I hate The Princess Bride. This movie, I, I get it now, why you all don't like it. This movie is, frankly, playing on every lowest common denominator you, available this, in the screenwriting realm. There's going to be a there's gonna be a point where your odometer's going to trip, and you know, maybe it was this time, maybe it'll be the next time, but you're, gonna, you're just going to go... I don't want to ever see the Princess Bride again. <laughs> that was as many times in my life as I needed to I see I rolled the over Princess back Bride. to zero and yeah. I'm done. I will reach I'm the done. end of Pleasantville. <laughs> <laughs> until until then. The Princess Bride represents for me not only a very special part of my growing up process, which I'm trying to separate from myself for editorial liberty and just say But you can't on, on the merits of its own on its own filmmaking prowess. Which Trey's right, I can't. But really on the can't. merits of its own pr- filmmaking prowess, this you movie... You specifically. No. <laughs> me. And, and, you, and I am, and as, no as everyone knows, aside from the fact that I say everyone's name at the beginning, I am the least informed person on this fucking show. <laughs> I love, but you cover it well. I love the Wild Wild West and Phantom Menace, and yet, I have this weird moment where I can reconcile with the most elite of filmmaking goers and say, The Princess Bride, yeah, and have high fives and say things like... A storm in the castle. I can have all those moments because not only do they have merit on a on a you know genre wide and in fact beyond genre wide level, where it's like this this represents a theme beyond even the scope of the movie, let alone the character. This movie is so we 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 really go back to it all the time on this show. Not all the time. We watched Hook, but all the time on this show. <laughs> The perfect movie, the concept of the perfect movie, where everything it sets up, it just plays out. And not so it plays out so that right when you reach the end of each individual arc, you stop that character and say, you're done with the movie, we're going to finish off the rest of the characters that haven't gotten there yet. Literally, every character plays out to a point of perfect harmony within the story and the universe of the story involved. This movie is maybe... I don't want to. You know, I really, I really. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't want to. Okay. I, I really wish this movie was a person, so you guys could just get drunk and bang. Because <laughs> yeah, really. you, you yeah. need to sort this out. Yeah. I mean, this movie is never going to love you back yeah. as much as you love it. Yeah, and me, I'm, I'm telling you that right now. I mean, dude, she's cute, but goddamn. <laughs> wow. 
This movie has eyes the color of a the sea after a storm. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, this movie, and, and this is my personal opinion. I was going to rape her, but now I don't even want to. <laughs> Teak, repeat after me. I love it very much. The end. <laughs> we all have our own versions of what a perfect movie is, and to me, this is the one movie I compare all others to. Okay. Princess Bride is, my fa- is one of my fair. top three favorite movies of all time. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that at all. That's the end. Alrighty. Now, this has been down in front, and if you want to find more insane rapes of movies that we love, because <laughs> we have slept net. with some ugly ones. Have- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was some we got drunk, and we really regret. Seriously, doing. this one was a little stalkery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotta say, yeah. we're digging through this movie's trash. I'm always going to watch it. It's so hard. <laughs> you can find that at downinfront.net, along with our Twitter page, twitter.com/slash/downinfront. Find it every single week. And until next time, my name is T. Christy with my friends. Brian Fitter. Mike Scott. Grace Dukes. For downinfront.net, and you can find us every single week. Thank you very much for listening. Good night. Good night. So long. Have fun storming the castle. It'd take a miracle. Trendsinyourhead.com.